Hey, welcome to the final episode of Season 1 of Dancerpology. I'd like to say thanks to everyone who's joined us on this roller coaster ride of a couple of months, especially anyone that's reached out and shared their own personal stories and artifacts, FOMO and good wishes. Hold tight and keep your friends close. We'll be dancing again someday soon. If you have the chance, please hit those five stars on your chosen podcasting platform and help us reach more ears. Before we dive into the last episode today, I'd just like to quickly thank everyone that's helped me out behind the scenes with the production of the podcast, answering my never-ending questions about compression settings, how to use and export images for screens in Illustrator. It's a tedious job putting each episode together, but without those people helping me upskill during lockdown, there would be no finished product, and here it is. I'd also like to thank the City of Melbourne for supporting the first season as part of the COVID-19 Arts Grant. Season 2 through to 7 are already underway with planning and production going on behind the scenes, so stay tuned to my Instagram or subscribe to the podcast feed and I'll be dropping back in with updates from time to time. Who knows, there might even be a few surprises in store for you all. Hit subscribe. To round out the first season, we've come full circle. After covering around 40 years worth of Melbourne's club culture, from its inception through to the highest highs and the very real aspects of what it takes to run a hospitality business. I hope it's drawn back the curtain a little bit for people to appreciate just how much hard work goes into keeping the doors open at one of these venues. For the final episode, I sat down with Hugo Atkins, Grand Primo behind the Buffalo Club, which would quickly morph into Hugo's own fantasy land, Hugs and Kisses, which I also had a ride of taking the reins for its final two years before closure. This episode covers a really exciting time and culture. Not only was Melbourne at its peak in terms of the clubbing landscape, we were also introduced to a greater level of connectivity as Blackberries and Palm Pilots moved aside and the almighty, all-seeing iPhone and social media became that ever-watching eye in the sky overall. You can trace the evolution of that thread back through this season just by using your own powers of observation. It's pretty obvious to realise the kind of impact technology has had on what was previously regarded as a way to escape reality. There's a fair bit of word vomit in this episode. Hugo and myself are a couple of nerds, as you're about to find out. And uh, I've also been back on the PlayStation during lockdown quite a bit, so forgive all the gaming and samurai jokes. Ghost of Tsushima is amazing. This was also a pretty cathartic experience for both of us since its closure two years ago. We've never sat down and talked about the venue that played such a big part in defining both of us. So put your snorkel on because we're about to go deep. With Hugs and Kisses still being fresh in people's minds and a documentary that might one day see the light of day in production, we chose to focus more on the surrounding circumstances that led to the inception of the club, as you're about to find out. It's a story worth telling in itself. I hope you enjoy. Oh yes, that's right. A quick content and language warning. This uh, does contain some crude humour. So if you're sensitive to that kind of stuff, maybe uh, listen with caution.
Hugo Atkins, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me, baby. So, what was going on? How did you, like, you grew up kind of just outside of the city? Yeah, I grew up in Ascot Vale, and I, I used to travel through uh, the city every day to go to school. I think my parents were um, working pretty hard to get me into a public, uh, get me out of a public school and into a private school. Seems to be a common story. I, I came from a different side of town and I went to a school on the other side of town. Yep. So I had a pretty huge commute. But that c- commute used to bring me right through the guts of the city every day mm. around 4pm, which when I was sort of like 13 didn't make too much of a... Well, when I was like 10, it didn't really mean anything. But when I hit to like the teenager, I think it put me in a position where there was a lot of trouble to be had. <laughs> It was a bit of a kid in a candy shop vibe. What year are we talking just to set the scene? Look, I think years I'm 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 definitely not good at. Um What year did you finish school? Let's I finished school there. 2007. Okay. So, I was 13, 12 at the time. So, yeah, around the 2000s, late yeah, 90s. Yeah, would have been like yeah, I think it would have been like 2002, 2003 mm. is when I really started hitting up the CBD for yep. extended periods of time. Yep. Meeting people, kind of just being around the city, trying to get people to buy me alcohol, trying to get people to buy me <laughs> cigarettes, just shit like that, you know, just just kid shit, to kid shit, yeah, lad, and lad lad behavior, yeah, and like my parents didn't get home till like seven o'clock or something, so mm. I knew I finished school at three thirty, I didn't have to be home until like six fifty. That's crazy, six fifty. You know, and I had and you lived in the city, yeah. So my I parents had, cracked the shits, and I got grounded if I got if I got um if I didn't get home by dark and I live I was just hanging out on the corner down the road. Well I had three hours but I, I, I basically had I basically had a three or four hours of free time in the city after school every day. Yeah, amazing. And that was from when I was like thirteen through till, you know, I guess I'm thirty one. So yeah. I still have the same curfew. Yeah. We'll bleep out your, um, your age. So yeah, just yeah, keep yeah, people yeah, guessing. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I'm sixty nine. Um <laughs> anyway, so I spent that time originally by getting a job at Games Workshop, mm. which was something that I was obsessed with at the time. I was a big fantasy nerd and um, I was obsessed with tabletop strategy games, model painting. I've, I've always been like a creative kind of guy mm. and I, I think... That I is got, a craft. That's, that's a craft. And, it's I a mean, craft, yeah. I used to also, love it. Sorry. Mm. It's funny because I've been doing a lot of creative things mm. during my time and I've had this conversation with people as well about you know the difference between an art and a craft. Mm. And essentially, like, the only difference between art and craft is how you view your technique, I think. Well, this is a faft. This is a... This is a, <laughs> this is a, this is a fantasy craft. It's a faft. And like um, Mona has a fart. Yeah, it's a fart. Yeah, this is a fart. I'm actually working on my own piece, which is similar to the... Can I get you to, to turn your phone off? Mona Sorry. fart machine. Um, don't worry, guys. My mum just says... Um, I'm not going to pay for your exercise bike, so you can pay for it yourself. <laughs> the realities yeah. of living at home. Um, I uh. did not offer to pay for your exercise bike. I think you need to treat uh, your family a little better. Oh, my God. I had a massive fight with my dad on Sorry, a Sunday Mom. night as well. It's just something in the air. It's all the shit. Just turn it over. I want you to. I want your yeah, attention. Yeah, Sorry. Sorry, Mum. I, uh, I thought you wanted me to be fit. Um, yeah, I know, right? Didn't you just want the best for me? You put me in this world. Nice. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, into farts, farfs. So farf is a fantasy art. Fantasy art is farf. Would this, um, would this precede, um, what's it called now? 
uh, fan fan fiction. Fan LARPing? I don't know. LARPing is uh, uh, LARPing is doing. LARPing is doing fan running. F- oh, fiction fantasy is. fiction. Fi- I guess there's fan fiction, but that's always yeah. been around. But yeah, anyway, yeah, look, yeah, yeah. whatever. So sorry, sorry, we're both a couple of nerds. This is gonna be a yeah. Fucking this could get wrong. Big Open up podcast. the treasure chest and welcome to the realities of fantasy world. <laughs> um, this is um. Well, it makes sense. Why would we not want to go on and create our own? For well, listen, people? man, the real world sucks, and the only thing you can really get down in, in my books, is the fantasy world. We have full control, which later on will turn into the story about the nightclub. Which is why I did do that because I wanted to create my own world, and I always have, and I always wanted to because. I've always thought that the one we live in is garbage. And um, I thought, you know, why not create my own? But it started off with this Games Workshop game. I got obsessed with it as a kid. And um, I was coming through the city every day to go home from school, coming home from school. And there was a shop in Centerpoint Arcade that sold the Games Workshop products, um, Warhammer 40K and Warhammer Fantasy. Which one's Centerpoint? Centerpoint Arcade is the one that was near Priceline. Um, oh, where? Off Burke Street Where Pancake Parlor And Hungry Jack's used to be It's all just turned yeah, into Like yeah, one big Adidas yeah, yeah. shop now It's a crazy now. old school one yeah, That was an old yeah, arcade Yeah, yeah. It's, gone, it, it's gone for like yes, 10 years ago yeah. But that arcade was cool Where Rebel man. Sport is And totally. Priceline And that now. was a sick yeah, and arcade And then you've got the Hub Arcade Which is the next yeah. one down It's all fucking Big shop gentrified now But there was a lot of Little funny shit going on there Back in the day mm. Anyway look I got a job there when I was like 14 and um, they employed me because I was a rising talent in the, in the modeling scene. <laughs> and um, I actually won, I actually won the a golden demon award for um, my painting skills. They flew me to Sydney. Wow. South. It was a Australasian. I came second in Australasia for um, model painting in my age bracket. And I was like in the magazines and all that shit. And I got offered a whole bunch of jobs and shit. It was pretty funny. High achiever from the beginning. That's yeah, it was just kicking off. Um, interesting insight. But we won't go too deep into that. But anyway, no. so the thing was the shop moved. And um, when that shop moved, it moved to Melbourne Central. Yep. And they set up the new shop. And I was getting a little bit older. And I think my boss was kind of like sensing that, you know, he, he, he took me aside one day and he said, Hugo, do you know what a pussy is? <laughs> and I was like. Yeah. And he's like, do you know what a car is? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, these are the two things that genuinely drag guys away from the hobby. So, (laughs) And I was like, okay. And he's like, are you interested in those things? And I'm like, well, not the car, but... (laughs) Uh, he um he kind of sensed um he kind of sensed that I was maybe on the way out, and then this other dude came in who was um a bit of an older dude, and he invited oh, me. He was hanging out at the shop a lot. He was like a nerdy dude as well, but he was kind of a bit older, a bit cooler, and he was like he kept kind of bugging me to come get a coffee with him. He's like, you got to come get a coffee at this coffee shop, and you know I, I've drunk coffee, but like at this stage, but I'm like I'm only like fucking sixteen. I don't you know I don't really give a shit about coffee. You know, I'm more like, dude. But you, you were you were born in Melbourne, just for the record. Yeah, of course. But you know, I'm more like V Energy drinks. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to. I'm like, a bit more Jolt Cola. Yeah, I'm a bit more Jolt Cola, dude. Um. Anyway, so this guy one day talks me into coming to get this coffee with him. So I cross, I cross across the road, walk across Lonsdale Street near the um the old Lonsdale House building. Where? But this is when SMP would have been there. Yeah, Snake Pit. Snake Pit. It was still there. Uh, it was still Emporium. there at the time. Oh, this is long before Emporium. Yeah, Matt. Dude, totally. I actually broke into that SMP. And used really? to skate it, yeah. After like it long since it or? shut down, yeah. Wow. And there was heaps of sick shit in there, man. I Amazing. got I got heaps. Of, I got all these funny hats and shit out of there. There was so much gear in there. Um. 
Anyway, so because the city was, people just don't. I mean, look, I don't know yeah, what it's no. like now, but yeah, let's, let's kids don't realize like it. Shit was empty. Like mm. I remember. So w- when I was working at that original Saint Jerome's, like we had the whole top floor of this building in Burke Street as their model making factory. Yeah, and it was where they would make all the s- terrain pieces, and it was like an old hairdresser. This studios. was Games Warehouse. This was Games Warehouse. Fuck. It was Games Workshop's warehouse was in the city. It was like Sick. top floor of a building on Burke Street. Oh, man. Like literally on Elizabeth and Burke. And they had like probably 700 square meters of just, it was like an, it was a hairdressing academy. It's like Prince's shirt, the shirt place around the corner from where Hugs was as well. Like totally. Just got emptied out. Like people, yeah, honky tonk People just didn't just realize, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you will talk about where you lived as well when we get through yeah. the story, but that is literally a whole nother podcast, um, Melbourne and you know the buildings and the just that period of change but that period of change was somewhere where you had saint jerome's and you had there was a creative energy and vibe and buzz happening in the cbd and happening in the city and i guess it was just pre-internet so like you know if you wanted to see art you had to go to a show you had to go and interact with people well i think a lot of it was comes from the australian dream being this thing about your house your plot your lot in the suburbs and there was obviously a shift coming on the winds from the West, from the US and stuff. And people were kind of picking up on artists, loft life, like these kind of things were getting absorbed and subtly and, mm. and, a, and a period, I guess, in the eighties and the nineties from, from what I understand, obviously. Organically, you could say, as opposed to virally. Yeah. T- yeah. Yeah. More of a, let's look more for the organics, dog. You know what I mean? Guys medicine. No, but it's true. Um, I mean, essentially we went from being an, or- like hearing word of it, sending facts, mm. writing a letter. Oh, totally. Totally. To sending yeah, yeah. an email, downloading, I think it's nice. downloading a lookbook, downloading a, yeah, yeah, someone's yeah. home, going through totally. a video tour. Yeah. You get the idea of it. And I think, um, I think that that is that is kind of funny that when things go viral, it's it's got such a disgusting word associated with it to be. Well, I mean, it's a gross word if you want to break it down, but yeah, like, but like when someone's like, "Oh, my video went viral," it's like, dude, that doesn't sound good, <laughs> you know? No, I mean, when you think of viral, you think of diseases, and especially exactly. in times like these when we're having to wear times like face what? masks. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what are you having, talking about? We're having to wear face masks to cover the virus and stop the spread, and like, you know, like. Mm. I think, and I mean, obviously the podcast format, I don't want to get too deep too early, but yeah, yeah. words are important, you know, yeah, totally. and using them are important too. So put your fucking phone away. Mm, phone's away. Um, yeah. So like, I guess um, that was, that was kind of crazy. And I think that a lot of people just need to get their head around what that was actually like, because there was a lot of opportunity available back then. I remember even as a youngster, like I wasn't really capable of making anything happen, but at that time I was aware that like this was fucking cool. And I think I slowly started to see that degrade more and more over time as more and more kind of, I guess just big cap came into the city and things started to shift and these spaces started getting used up. But there was a period where Melbourne just didn't have- The construction. It didn't have the need. It didn't have people, the the desire to live in the city wasn't there. There was Mm. more, there was more infrastructure than there was um, patrons, you know, and people and, you know, it hadn't shifted to this big kind of economic point where everyone wanted to be there. And I guess that's gentrification, you Mm. know, to an extent. And it's a shift in culture, I think, a shift in, you know, things like um, certain industries that evolved and over time these things do evaporate, but they do offer opportunities. I think it's, you know, hark to something like coming down of, 
the, the Berlin Wall opening up a whole bunch of space. You Are know, you talking this, about diverting the Yarra River? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's do it. Let's put a wall up, man. South. <laughs> we already have. Yeah. What are you talking about? It's oh, yeah, there, yeah, but yeah. you've been crossing it your whole life, so you know you understand it. We know what it's like. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Anyway, so look, I guess to get back on topic. Yeah. I, the philosophy philosophy yeah. class is over. I got um, I got dragged into this cafe, which was Saint Jerome's, by this um by this a friend of mine who was kind of not a friend of mine but just a guy I just met and um you could say he was you could say he was a um an NPC yeah 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 to use totally. a gaming term. yeah 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 totally um he he took me on a quest and um I was like I was like well, I don't know it seems like kind of like a crappy quest but I went with it anyway need to get my need to get my stat points up if you don't go you don't know if you don't shine you don't glow <laughs> um so anyway I rolled right in there and um yeah, like as I was saying, that did just really change my life. I think seeing something like that was incredible. I remember the first time I walked in, it was just this sort of tiny little Swedish meatball room filled with, you know, and this was kind of the time when this was when being an indie person was, this was probably, there was like a five minute window where it was actually cool. Mm. And um, if you were onto the, if you caught the wind, you were like, you had your skinny jeans and your, yeah. Your some people, some people had it, and you like, know, it, yeah. Case in point, the first time I played Justice Waters of Nazareth mm. was at Honky Tonks. Mm. It cleared the dance floor. It was so mm. fucking crazy and noisy and yuck. People don't know and what they just, were looking at. It was at. just such a juxtaposition to what was going on. But six months later, it was the biggest song being played at the club. Once it turned into you know totally third class and the and the and the shift that w- the winds shifted. Mm. And I think the thing about that space that people don't understand and what it was like to try and narrow it down into something that is palatable and can kind of help you to get a picture for it in your head. It, was, it wasn't that it was such a great bar or such a great venue or anything. It just happened to be the place where a whole bunch of people who were interested in developing a culture and had new ideas just happened to congregate at the right time. 100%. Truth be told, it was a piece of shit. Like, it literally was a cupboard <laughs> yeah. with a fucking smoker's alley. But that also fed into it. It was of, like... Of course. And it's yeah. the same as with, with the, you know, we talk about the Mercat. It's mm. like, you know, the club itself, it doesn't matter about the space. It's the community yeah. around yeah. it that it fosters and, like, allows people to, you know, kind of have free thought and make connections and generate ideas. And if you didn't go to a private school and you didn't, you know, mm. kind of get grown up with those connections... You could be an outsider and find your way into it. Totally. And, you know, at the end, you're off on some bloody new mission. Another journey. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think another way to put it is it, it was just fertile soil. And that's where the seeds dropped, you know, and it had everything it needed there. And it turns out the nutrients was Cooper's long necks and <laughs> Peter Stuyvesant cigarettes. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Yeah, so the um, and this space just offered it just was something so radical and so new to me. I immediately realized that it was something amazing, and um, what was going on there was just so cool and so interesting. And just it's just hard to gauge as someone in being 16 and being um, kind of smacked in something like that, and and being um, kind of opened up to those ideas and to see how people are living who are older than you at a time when you know you think you know everything no not even man i I think it was before that i think it was before a time because i don't think i really 
thought I knew everything until I was like 21. Yeah. So this was a time when I was I was really a sponge. And mm. I was and, mm. and, and I was a nerd. Mm. And, totally. And it just, you know, obviously I was a cool nerd. Well, all nerds are cool. Yeah. But I was go. a cooler yeah. nerd, you know. Um, but anyway, uh, it, it just like, it, it was just, that, that for me, it, it, it had a huge impact on me. Mm. And I think, um, I think to, to understand it, it's basically, as we were saying, it, it was a space where it didn't really matter. Like the, it, it was fertile in the sense that the environment was perfect for anything to happen. Mm-hmm. And Jerome, you know, for his um, whatever, whatever people think of him, I happen to love the guy, but... Totally, he's a great teacher. Um, he just He just knew what people needed and he knew when to let people run and he had these the right people there and he gave them an opportunity to do something great and you know the people who were working there have a lot of them have gone to do a lot a lot of interesting stuff stuff. and like amazing i remember i used to because i I walked in there and um they had the graffiti shop which was the rancho notorious and i Mm. just sort of started getting into wanting to tag and stuff like that like i thought that kind of stuff leave your mark I wanted to leave my Mac, but, um, you know, it was, um, I walked in and I remember I tried to get into the shop and it was closed. So I went back the next day. I'm surprised you didn't just throw a brick through the yeah. window, mate. You know? <laughs> well, it had, <laughs> had bars on the front. Because he, um, yeah, he knew. Because he knew. Yeah, a little bit too cluey. Exactly. Um, so I, I went back the next day and I think I, I think I waltzed into the bar and I was sort of like, oh, hi, like, um, who, who, um, who's in charge of the shop next door? And this guy stands up and he's like, it's me, I'm Monkey. And I was like, uh, okay. Um, Hugo, what's up? I'm Tubataka. Yeah, I was like, hey man, uh, my name's Hugo. Um, I just wanted to maybe ask about like getting some spray cans or something. And he was like, oh, okay, sure. And then um, he took me, no, no, sorry, I didn't. I came in before and there was another guy there. And he was like, he was like, I was like, oh, I want to get, a, I wanted to get a job oh, there. So you've come to see the master. Yeah, yeah, totally. I wanted to get a job there. I spoke to this guy called Jaggy, who um, check him out. Jaggy, he's an incredible illustrator. Um, he's a video game maker now. He's pretty cool. Um, and anyway, so he was like, oh, you've got to talk to Monkey. So he'll be here on Friday if you want to get a job. So I came back on the Friday in my fucking Wesley uniform at and like four thirty p.m. Is your quest. Yeah, exactly. And I took this to heart. I was like, I really wanted this job. I just thought this place was sick, and I was like, I want to work here. And um, I went back on the Friday, and I um, I walked into the bar, and there was this like you know ragtag crew of people in their sort of early twenties, which you know to me now, people in their early twenties basically look like losers. But um. <laughs> When I was 16, um, they're, they're threatening. And they were the coolest things you've ever seen in, yeah. in the planet, man. And, you yeah. know, you forget how quickly just how, you know, as you, as you develop confidence, you seem, you forget so quickly how fragile you were. But, well, I mean, you know, like uh, traditionally these kind of things that we arm ourselves with, whether it be fashion or feathers mm. or, you know, kind of things, they're distractions mm. to put off from the, you know, the, in a fragility that mm. we're actually all feeling or displaying. Like, yeah, it is a bit funny you know, how we well, do hide sort of that a lot. Conveying a sense of ennui, you know, like it's mm. it's just it's the way of the world. Essentially, everyone's got to put on a mm. put on a front. Um, and it's it's funny because <laughs> bit of ASMR yeah. cut. It's funny because I mean, like the same thing happens with you know myself talking about first time I went to Honky Tonks, first time mm. I went to Central Station. Mm. I 
didn't go in because I was so intimidated by mm. both of them. But by the mm. end of it, I ended up running both, or not running yeah. honky tonks, but you know. But I know what you mean. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like, funny. I think as well, like it depends who you are. I mean, I've always been able to feed off that a little bit more. Um, I've always had um, and I'm not not saying you don't, but I've always had a bit more. I found that I can get through those situations. And I'm not 100% sure why. Probably because you're not a little fat kid. Well, yeah. You're a little bit bigger and, you know, you're kind of, you're not as, you're not as kind of vulnerable as I was a as fat I kid. Was. We were all fat kids, but, you know, like. I guess maybe coming from Lilydale, I don't know. Who yeah, knows? I don't know. I don't know. Well, yeah, maybe going to a private school, having that education of like knowing the validation of knowing these people are, you know, you kind of What's part. Cool, like I yeah. I'm, a, I'm a country hick. Like I'm a bumpkin, basically. Look, whatever. It all comes from in, inside. It doesn't matter where you come from. You really decide inside who you are. That's where I think, you at. Yeah, you got to like work on yourself. And, you know, reassure yourself that you're actually great a lot of the time. And I think that's something I was doing from a young age is just. <laughs> well, it shows in your progress and it shows how quickly you've been able to visualize and make things happen. Yeah, I don't know. I just wasn't scared. I, I mean, I was, but I just was like, I just had this thing in the back of my head where I was like, no, nah, you just got to make it happen. But um, look, anyway, I walked into this joint and um, there's this guy there. Um. <laughs> Pardon me, that was a Coca-Cola. Um, there's this dude there and I said, hey, um, which one of you guys are monkey? And this guy, like, it's it's fully like something out of like cowboy. It's, it's like K-Boy Bebop, like man. Samurai the dude, comes, around, it was comes so, into town. And it was like... <laughs> <laughs> a little... Uh, a little like, one of those yeah, tumbleweeds. Yeah, tumbleweed comes through. over, you dust, you motherfucker. So this guy stands up and he goes, yeah, who's asking? And I was like, oh, uh, um, my name. It's me, Hugo. I was, Yeah, I was like, it's me. Uh, it's Hugo Albert Atkins. Uh, my name's Hugo Albert Atkins. Uh, I'm a Wesley College boy from, uh, I'm 16 years old now. But I was like, oh, hi. Like, you know, Jaggy told me, um, like, you're the one in charge of the Rancho Notorious and um, I should ask you for a job. And he just looks at me and he was like, well, if you start tomorrow, then I can get drunk tonight. <laughs> and he literally just throws me the keys and he's like, you're hired. And I just like caught these keys and I was just like, okay, this is like the loosest job opportunity ever. Like, like the guy just literally no pride. Didn't even ask my fucking full name. Just throws me the keys. And he's like, you're getting paid. Uh, you got 25 bucks for the day. That was the pay and rate. All, and all the paint you can get. Yeah, and all the paint and everything. And I was just, I was ecstatic, man. I was like, this is the shit. So I got this job on the spot, just like that. The guys threw me the keys. If you don't go, you don't know. Man, if you didn't try, you didn't get it. So I stayed there for a bit and I hung out with them. And he sort of, he was really nice to me. And honestly, these guys were amazing. This was the birth of sort of a street art coming out of Melbourne at that time. We had a lot of stuff, you know, like we were saying, it's crews like Everfresh. We're frequenting there. People like Alex Mitchell, who um, is still a G. Yeah, he's still a G, and um, he did nice produce. And mm. I think a lot of these people put a lot of energy into Blank Melbourne. With Raff and you know Raff and Danny, hundred percent from above. Yeah, all, all the crews that we could shout out. That'll probably yeah. be a separate podcast on its own. Yeah, like the depth of Melbourne street culture back in that time as well. Is it's just it's. 
Fuck a mutiny. And the thing, the thing that people don't realize is everyone lived in the city back then, and they had dope pads. Like, yeah, all of these guys had warehouses. Yeah, Heffern and Lane, dude, that was camo. Camo, yeah, yeah, that place was sick. And like, so I'm working at Rancho Notorious, and um, like I said, all this shit's going on in Melbourne, and blah blah blah. We don't need to get into it. And then um, I ended up finishing up school and stuff like that, and. I graduated to I actually I think I got a fake ID when I was seventeen and I used <laughs> that and most people were using that to get um, into bars, but I took it one step le- one step further and I used that to get myself a job at Saint Jerome's. <laughs> so I lied to them and convinced them that I was eighteen because I had this ID and I think they obviously what some of them didn't knew it care. Was, well, some of them knew it was fake and yeah. I wouldn't I I don't want to say they employed a minor. I mean I, on my part I lied about my age. This isn't a this isn't isn't an admission. This is 7 inches. A, an, an awakening. Allegedly. Um anyway, so I um <laughs> I um I got this job. Do you mind if I just blow my nose again, man? Yeah, sorry okay, man. Just like, do it sec. off the microphone just cuz there's covid going around. I'm just going to blow my nose again. <laughs> Let's go from Rancho Notorious. Rancho Notorious. Rancho Notorious was fucking sick. And if you never went, I'll try and describe it to you. It was a tiny little room next to St. Jerome's that Jerome got a rent for and basically let all these graph hoodlums and Wayward Street people take over. And you had people like, um, you know, anyone from Sink and um, Fibs and Wrecker and all of these like Everfresh guys coming out of there with a bit of influence or a big influence from Alex Mitchell, who was yeah. a nice produce guy, who kind of was, was the like curator almost. He like, was a kept, bit of the curator. Every, yeah. Kept everyone in check. Yeah, I think Alex, um, and I love Alex, but he had he had his own issues. That we, we all want, do. We all do. But um, he kind of struggled to to keep everyone meshed in this environment. He he was putting a lot of control on something ego. that- I mean, There was a lot, lot of ego, ego yeah. That, especially in the fucking street rider scene. Like, exactly. A, there was a lot the of whole beef. thing is yeah. based on fucking ego. And that was the one thing that kind of turned me off graffiti was just that it was just so pointless to be- it, it always seems like if you guys are all moving in the same direction, I just don't understand why you have to try and beef each other. Like, why are you going over someone's shit? Not even about that. It's just like, guys, you, you're all interested in the same stuff. Like, yeah. why don't you just create an environment where you get exactly. along? Like, it's just like having the need to have beef is just, it's so artificial and it's just so fake. But, yeah. you know, this is a massive, it's more toxic As, than it I is. I mean, all the grudges is letting someone else live fucking rent free in yeah. your brain. It's a waste of time. No. Um. Anyway, so this kind of thing was popping off and I, I started working there and over that next year that really that really offered me a chance to just I you know I started getting invited to parties and stuff and going so to the gallery event. ugly duckling turned into a swan yeah ugly duckling turned into a swan it was pretty funny though because I there was a period in like when I was in high school when um I noticed that um a lot of people I went to school with were just like what the fuck happened to Hugo like this this guy's just like got his whole. I had a whole new life. Yeah. I was a different guy. I didn't hang out with anyone. You saw the light. I was just a new dude. I was the first guy on the south side to have a fixed gear bike. Man, you were initiated into the culture of cool. That was what was happening, and it was like I I was picking this shit up, and it was like people were just just didn't know how to handle it. And yeah, I, but you know what? Like four years later, they probably all got fixed gear. Figure- yeah, I mean, look, there's a silly little arbitrage this thing, but the, it's just when you get cap- caught into a culture that's beyond your years it's really amazing because if you're lucky enough to get bought into something at a young age that's happening it really helps you grow 
And that is at the a, most at, a, at an exponential rate as well. Totally. And those and those are the people that go on to do amazing things. And yeah. you know, if you get to see that, it's just because you've got this perfect storm where you're you're both the sponge age, where that you you don't have an ego yet, and you're now susceptible and surrounded by something that's beautiful and you can take on the best and the worst parts of it. And you can learn from other people's mistakes totally. as well as exactly. your own. And this is the best time to be alive. And this is like, this is the best thing to, if you can find yourself in a situation when you're part of some sort of cultural movement or some sort of anything that's going on around you, that's just a couple of clicks ahead of where you are, you will just fly. And that, and that, and that is something, that's something that I felt so grateful for having and being a part of. And then when, St. Jerome's and all that stuff closed, I had a massive void. The come down. I was like, what the fuck comes next? <clears throat> and it was a bit, a little bit of that time because it was around the same time as the lockouts in yeah. Melbourne. Kind of Shit happened. was changing. Honky Tonks closed. Um, you know, Mercat kind of was getting its second life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Third class was a thing. Yeah. New Rave was a thing. The Mercat Dara, we talked about it last week with Children of the Night and all the kind of like weird brand mm. activation. So, mm. you know, going back to the the the, the bell curve, the Gaussian curve. Um, Gaussian curve. Well, you know, the, the, the people up, the higher ups, the capitalist structure of our fucking society yeah. had realized how cashable this fucking culture yeah. is. Yeah. And by that point, they'd started cashing in on it. Yeah, shit was getting cashed in on. I think that of all the clubs that have opened in Melbourne, regardless of what claims to fame they take, I think that um, the Buffalo Club probably will always have the weirdest and strangest origin story of all of them. Which is kind of the beauty of it as well. Well, that did bleed heavily into the the rest of its um, lineage. But how it came about was that on the third day of me trotting through the city on my grid looking for properties in which I could potentially start this thing that I just knew had to happen based off the back of saying that, you know, we needed a place for culture. A and I felt and a longing. Yeah, I just wanted to have something and I yeah. wanted to create it. Everyone wants to feel like they've got their own place to call home. Yeah, and the Mercat did exist back then and I liked the Mercat, but I never felt like it had the one thing I felt like the it lacked. V? Well, it just, it just <laughs> lacked it just didn't have that creative energy. And it it had a lot of energies and a lot of things, but it didn't have the it didn't have the fertile ground. Yep. People couldn't, you couldn't go it was there. Purpose, it, was, it was a purposeful place where you went to listen to music and yeah. dance. Yeah. And that was- You couldn't get freedom was, there. You had no agency. That's how I no, felt. No, it was literally kind of the place where you go to lose yourself almost as opposed to find yourself. I think something in me just felt that there needed to be something that had a different energy and I couldn't quite- articulate it but i just knew that that feeling wasn't there and i knew that there was an opportunity so that's when i went looking and i found you know i walked around anyway so i think on the third day of trotting through the city and knockbacks and loose ends and yeses and noses and maybes i stumbled across sutherland street and at the time i had i was just actually about to cross the road and um to walk figuratively or literally physically Physically, physically, physically about to cross the road. This old guy had um, 
this old guy had stepped next to me and he was about to step onto the road and I just put my hand on his shoulder and I was like, hang on, it's a red light. I didn't really save his life, but I just like, I was just like, hey, there's a red light, <laughs> like there's a red light, buddy, don't cross the road. And he was like, oh, thanks. Like just Shido. some daisy old dog. So we stepped, we, we crossed the road together and um, we walked down the alleyway and um, he just turned into that building. And I was like, it was like this old British guy. And I looked at the sign and it said, oh, look, I don't know if I can get this exactly right, but I think it says something along the lines of 25 plus rock and pop licensed venue or something like that. Uh, it said R-A-O-B-G-A-B, yeah, uh, 25s and over or 24s and over rock and pop licensed venue. And it had a... Had a hilarious. I've still got the sign. It had this hilarious picture of a martini glass on it, and I was just like, "What the fuck is this?" So, I walked in to the building. I followed him in. It was a tiny hatch door. It was a wicker door, which is I think they're is called. This the, sorry, is this the side door entrance that most people know? Um, no, this the is main not. Entrance, this is the main entrance off. This is the main entrance off Sutherland Street, not down. So the the actual yeah. Buffalo entrance. Yeah, the yeah. Buffalo entrance. The entrance to the temple. The entrance to the temple. And it, for people who don't know what a wicker door, a wicker door is the little door on a roller door that you have to, it's about the size of a hobbit's door. It's kind of what they open before the gang of marauders come out and go, what are you, what's your business? Yeah. Stay your business here. Exactly. Stay your business here, yeah. governor. What are you here for? It's like, I'm here to pillage your village. It's like the tile when they, well, Gandalf the Grey, haven't seen him in a couple of months. Yes, but um, thou shall not pass unless <laughs> thou has good intentions. <laughs> um, so I walked into this, I walked through this wicked door and you the stepped, old guy- You stepped through the portal. I stepped through the portal and this old guy had just gone into the room to the right. And and listening back to what you Is said the Graham? other day- you, No, this isn't Graham. Oh, okay. This was another guy. Graham came later. He was a little bit more witty. But this guy, his name was- um, White Rabbit, White oh, Rabbit, White yeah. Rabbit. Fuck, what was this I'm guy's late, name? I'm late for a very important day. <laughs> Um, it was a bit like that, man. Um, this Dude, guy's down the rabbit hole we go. That's this guy's name was Peter. Peter Lowe. Peter Pan. Peter. Pa <laughs> Peter Lowe. Let's call him Peter Pan for now, just for legal um, reasons. And um, he um, and I walked into this room, and and for people who've never been down there, let me set the scene. I've just walked into a dimly lit, heavily tiled entry to a foyer of a Masonic you know, man's club. Kind of with, feels like primary school almost. It smells like primary school. And it's got, you've got large mahogany wall pieces with gold um, embroidered letters with, or not embroidered, embossed letters with all these different names and weird words. Grand- The, mem the members board. Yeah, Grand Primo. Grand Poobah. Grand Tyler. You've got seconds, thirds, houses. You've got lodges, lodge numbers, and there's just pictures of buffaloes everywhere. Origin stories. I've walked into essentially another planet and I'm looking around thinking like this is the biggest time warp ever. And harking back to what you said about walking away, I looked around for a second and I turned around and I was like, this is too weird. I was extremely. I can't. I can't. I, can't, I, can't, I, can't, I need I, to know what's going on here. Well, I was like, I can't do this. Yeah, right. I can't do. So this. you had the moment of intimidation. It was you, too bizarre. You, it was just too you bizarre. Hit standoff button. You and I turned around and I walked out of the room, back through the tile, and stepped back onto the street. 
And I stood there for like one second. I was back in the sunlight and I sort of was just like, nah, man, you got to go back in there and find out what the hell's going on. This so, is, sorry, what year is this? Can you pinpoint it? Because was this, this would when, be like Ghost Rider was when Ghost Rider was getting filmed in that same area as well? Or Because for anyone who doesn't know, Guildford Lane is the only streetscape in Melbourne that is that has stayed the same for over 100 years. Yeah. That's like a fact. It's crazy. Word is bond. Um, but basically, like, you know, that is a that area mm. is my old landlord used to live, lives in Guildford Lane still. And, mm. like, that area was where they filmed Ghost Rider. Yeah. Yeah. Ghost Rider. Um, and they filmed a vampire film there as well the other day. Uh, oh, like a couple of years uh, ago. There was the Frankenstein one yeah. that they did at I Warehouse. I Frankenstein with um, yeah. Aaron... Aaron Whatever his Eckhart. Name is. Eckhart, that's it. Um, but you know, I only found that out because I was walking yeah. past it one day on my way home from a club and I stopped and went, Hey, what are you guys filming in here? I knew that there was a film going on. And I went, yeah. and the guy's like, Oh, it's called I Frankenstein. I still haven't seen the movie, but yeah. I ended up doing I a heard party. It's at, trash. Uh, that's what I heard as well. But you know, don't like live the experience, F- figure it out for yourself is what we're like, essentially. Well, yeah, I mean, look, I turned around and I just had this moment where I was like, Look, this is kind of. Just just go. I just sort of knew I had to go back in and find yeah. out what was going on. So I turned around. Get and extra I, charm if you did. Except XP. I went back in and um, I guess there was just this perfect storm where I happened to be the right guy to talk these old dudes into basically giving me a nightclub and i knew i knew that you saw the potential i saw the potential you knew you knew how to frame it and you code switched i code switched hard so, so hard that i became an old man and you also got inducted i got inducted so i went back in and i started talking to graham and um he took me through you know this is the royal antidote of the buffaloes we're a secret society um out of the uk we you know we have all these you know the they're non-secular it's um it's all it's all it's all basically uh, and look it's a long story about what it is and yeah. we won't go into it people too can much, look it up you can look it internet. up yeah you can look it up i mean, it could take an, essentially hour. it's for thespians and mm. you know it's basically the free it's a basically a joke version of the three ma- freemasons for thespians to i went in and he showed me all this stuff and it was just an absolute time warp he takes me into his office it's filled with all these old books Crazy old memorandums, subtexts, there's regalia, medals, felt pieces, there's swords, there's this is just insane. You know, there is you're looking inside a secret society with You found Aladdin's cave. Two hundred years of this weird cultural heritage and it's just something I've never seen before in my life. And I basically said to the guy, you know, oh, what's the deal? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, we've got the grand ballroom upstairs. And if you wanted to come and have a look, I could show you up there. So I, I turned the I turned the conversation around to the license. He's like, if you want to come up and look, I'll come take you upstairs. So it pops me upstairs, walks me on the stairs, takes me into this room. It's this massive, big room. And at this stage, um, I, I kind of know what's going on. I'm like, okay, so... This place has a liquor license and what's, what happens up in here is like, we only use upstairs. Well, we used to use upstairs for the grand balls. We used to have four or 500 people and we used to play the Negro music. And I was just like, uh, okay, I'm not sure if you're good. <laughs> anyway, so I was like, oh, okay, Graham, uh, tell me more. And then he's, um, I'm just like standing there like this. Is, like what time zone is this right now? Mm. Anyway, so I... um. 
I look over and I look over and there's a license plate on the wall. And obviously coming out of a bar, <laughs> I know a little bit about liquor license. Not enough, but I've got an inkling. So I go over and I read the license and I see what it says. And it's a full club license, which I have no idea what that means. And it's a 24-hour liquor license. Which you do know what that means. I know what that means. That means he that, man, that, sounds, like, that sounds like good time, Woo! baby. That 24 says, hours of pleasure. That sounds like, that sounds like 24 hours away from my normal life. Ride with me, ride with me, ride with me. Um, anyway, so. It's a 24-hour escape from reality, yeah, really, man. isn't and it? Thinking, I mean, it, to, to kind of paraphrase Carl Lagerfeld, rest in peace, mm. when he looks at a white piece of paper, it's like he sees a world of, of you know, imagination mm. of what it can be. And that's kind what of it can a, be. Akin, akin to what you're talking about. Totally. So there's a lot, of, a lot of opportunity there. Um, so I, I, um, I asked the guy and I said, "Look, what's the possibility of doing an event here?" And he said to me, "If you want to do an event here, you're going to have to become a member." And I was like, "Okay, what does that mean?" He's like, "Well, you're going to have to come back on Wednesday." Wednesdays when the Melbourne Lodge meets and if they like you they can um induct you in and once you remember you you could be doing you could possibly hold events up in upstairs in the grand ballroom that's not all you'll be holding so, so I run away and um the next day I go I went home and I had this meeting on the Wednesday and I asked my dad if I, he had a, he had like an old jacket and this is not code switching <laughs> This is what I like to call code switching. Yeah. This is a visual code switch. Yeah. So you gotta I present. You, you got to present. present. So I put on I put on this old like or 80s as they, as they say I think I think in um I think the current day term is passing or oh, passing passing yeah. Passing wind perhaps. But um <laughs> I was um I put this old green jacket on and I um I jumped on the tram. I caught the tram into the city and I hopped off and I was, I was basically wearing slacks, black shoes, this sort of green, green shirt, like, an, an, like, a, like a greeny blue tie and had my hair slicked back. And I basically looked like, a, like a, an elderly club gentleman. You looked the business. I looked the business. And some-, some um, You weren't there to fuck around. You weren't some, there to like tag the yeah, walls. Totally. And some old guy actually, I hopped off the tram and some old guy, not- anything to do with the club, just this older guy just said, you look great today, buddy. See, because you know what? Presenting oneself in a in in a presentable form yeah. is taking one's pride in oneself. And also it's respect for other people because totally. they have to look at you. Yeah, well, they got to decide. And that's a value that I like have always had instilled in myself and, and always stuck to. Keep it up, buddy. We love looking at you, Frosty. Thanks, buddy. I've got, I've got, I've got sore eyes today, my friend. Still got more to show you, don't <laughs> you worry. Anyway, um, so I roll right in there. It's meeting time. And this is the part where it starts to get a little bit hairy about what I can and can't say. But we roll in and it's it's go time. So they lock me up outside the secret room and they give me six ciders. Six cans of cider. To drink. I'm not allowed in you until have to those drink. cans are empty. <laughs> So I have to, I so have you, to drink you're taking, six. You're imbibing the uh, the you know the vision quest. This is the start of your vision quest. This is the start of my vision quest, Amazing. or completely blind quest, as the case six. may be. So I neck six mercury dry ciders. Oh, they're strong too. They are beastie. 
And then um, and I'm blindfolded the whole time. So I've lost vision for about 40 minutes at this stage. Wow. So I don't know if, if anyone's ever worn a blindfold and drunk six beers in a row. <laughs> it does it's a lot. kind of like falling into a K-hole. You literally have no sensory... And like, you don't know where the fuck you are. And the thing is the floor ceases to exist. You're in a completely different environment. Finally, they knock on the tiles. On the tiles? The door, where on were, the door, on the were door. Were you in the, where were you I'm in outside the, the door. But in, just in that little hallway. I'm in the little hallway outside the door. And I, and I, and then I heard the door, as the master finished his drinks. And I said, drinks are empty, sir. You may enter. They come and pick me up. They take me into this room. I'm walking. I literally feel like I'm walking on clouds. Still blindfolded. I'm still blindfolded. I have no idea what's going on. Then it starts. Bring in the goat. Get the paddles ready. Burn the wax. All these things. They start chanting at me, throwing me off. These like these like hazing. Ritual. It's a ritual. It's a hazing it's a ceremony. It's a yeah. ritual. It's a hazing. But it's ritual. Well, it is tradition, ritual. and ritual traditions go back to the beginnings of time. Yeah. So then um, they send me around and they give me the lowdown on basically what this is all about. It's a brotherhood. It's a fraternity. It's a thing for people who want to come together in a like mind. A place to belong. It's a place to belong. And we sing this song. And I, I should have bought the- You don't have the book, do you, on you? The, Clark, the Hugs book? Oh, no. It's, oh. <laughs> that's why I, I got through the- I actually found the- um. The photo album from when we first set up the record store, which is from around this time as well. But, but essentially, I mean, people need to do their own research. They can find mm. this shit if they need if they want to read into it further. Otherwise, they can just listen to us waffle on about it on this point. I should have bought. I should have bought the book, but I could get it up. Should I get it up so we can do the song? It's pretty good. Uh, you can, yeah, go yeah, for it. It's yeah, probably worth it. doing. Uh, it. You get it up and do the song, and I'll um get something else up. All right. So, so I'm sitting outside. I've just drunk six ciders. And there's a series of um, protocol that needs to take place between me and a man who's inside, who has a little- Inside the temple? He's inside the temple and I'm outside the door. And okay. there's, there's about a 300 by 300 mil square opening in the door where you can just see lips. So it's like, a, you know, like a little trap door kind of thing. <laughs> Fucking hell, and sorry. I just had flashbacks to Club 80, Black Gag <laughs> Reflex and Glory yeah. Holes. <laughs> it's um, essentially so, a glory hole. So essentially a slide door that yeah. opens and it's like, tell us yeah. the password. So you knock the door and he says, oh, I missed who that. knocks? And I say, uh, Mr. Hugo Atkins. And he goes, his business to introduce a gentleman who desires to become a member of an ancient and honorable order. His name. And then I say, uh, Hugo Atkins. His correct age, I say 21. Admit him, brethren, be upstanding. And then it says, wardens meet and the introducer and the unlightened. Conduct the candidate to the worthy city marshal. My, Mr. Hugo Atkins, are you a loyal supporter of the Queen and Constitution? I am, sir. Do you enter this lodge of your own free will and consent? Why, I do, sir. Take this candidate to the royal marking chair in the center of the lodge. Brethren, to your seats. And that's how it started. Wow. I'm blindfolded at this point. And you're drunk. I'm drunk. As fuck. I'm drunk. And that was before all the paddling and the goats and all those jokes, which was just them hazing Yeah, me. But essentially, as you said before, when you walk through the, the tile, you know, it's like presenting yourself at the gate. If you don't, if you're not willing to go past that step- you're never going to find out what's happening afterwards. The point is you've got to take the leap 
in anything you do, you got to take the leap. And if thanks, you have that, thanks, thanks, uh, Trinity. Yeah, yeah. You know that road, Neo. You've just been down jump. It before. Just jump. Might as well jump. You might as well. I mean, fuck. The signs are all um, there. Let me have a look. So I'm going to try and find you the song as well, because um, it's a grand old flag. It's a high fire flag. It's the song of the red and the blue. <laughs> All right, here it is. So this is the song they sing. In your present condition, what would you like most to see, worthy candidate? The light. Let him behold, only censor. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice and sing. The glories of our mystic ring. Rejoice, rejoice, and do not mar the glories of our mystic star. I wish you to absorb this flame. It's some knowledge of the flame of justice, the light of truth, and warmth of philanthropy. Anyway, so then it says, Great, great and mighty spirit of brotherly love, assist us. Fidelly, mercy, lend there thine aid. Spirit, a true buffaloism, hour around us. It's crossed, 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 it's crossed. The chant is crossed, the charm must be crossed. It's broke, it's broke, it's broke, it's broke. The charm is broke. Brethren, assist me to form the link. And then they stand up and they snap a clay pipe on your shoulder. Wow. And the marshals of all the brethren probably linked in, all probably linked, Sinting Primo standing by God, newly initiated brother or brethren, we call to your attention to what is known as the Buffalo Link. You will observe it in its endless chain formed by passing the right hand over the left, thus bringing the right hand nearest to the heart, which is symbolic, symbolic, of the good feeling which should exist amongst all brethren of the order. It is this manner all lodges are open and closed throughout the world. I shall shortly ask you to join this link, which I may form you can only be broken by death and will sincerely trust that you may be spared for many years to become a useful member of the unbroken link. Brethren number, mine was 665, I hereby declare Brother Hugo Atkins, duly and legally initiated to the mysteries and privileges of the ancient and honorable order, which is which I declare by the powers vested to me by the Ground Council and in the memory of Her Majesty's the Queen, in the presence of God, good love and nature, good and true, hearted members of our order. Word is bond. And that was it. I was in. Wow. So can we hear that? Yeah, we can air that. That's Fucking all online. Sick. You can That's air all that. So good. That's not hidden. The only things you can't tell are the That's passwords amazing. and the handshakes. Yeah. And I can't share those That's, with you. No, I know. Well, you know, we've shared a few handshakes. But for anybody who just wondered what the hell they just heard, I want to set no, the scene. No, it's not like you're tuning into a podcast. You, you know what you're up for. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm 21. But let me say the same for me. For I'm 21. It. I'm trying to open a nightclub. And I've just been initiated into an ancient order. <laughs> Secret Society of Druids. Yeah. So I'm like- I'm like, That's run by a yeah. bunch of flaming thespians. Yeah. And also, to be honest, some of them are pedophiles. <clears throat> we'll cut that bit out. Oh, no, that's pretty open. Yeah, we're not going to talk about that. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, I mean, we can, but I- And if like, people if ask how like, I got the lease, I sucked every single one of those old guys' caramel lollies. 
I had every single one of their butterscotch, butterscotch, butterscotch throat lozenges. I sucked every single butter thro- butterscotch throat lozenge in that motherfucking building. I was like, mwah, 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 mwah. these are delicious, Graham. Mwah, mwah, mwah. No, yum, yum. Mwah, mwah, mwah. So it's basically it's a secret society for horny bros. For horny old motherfuckers. Um, wow. Well, you know what? Like they say that you have to um, do certain things to move up the ranks. And yeah. thank you for sharing your trauma and um, with us, Hugo. More than welcome. Um, That's good. Anyway, so <laughs> to move the story along at a decent pace. Um, it's pretty, the pace is good, man. We're at a good fucking gal, uh, I, like um, good trot right now. I um, I basically went in the next day, an honorable member of the Royal Antediluvian Order of Buffaloes. And I sat <laughs> down, I said, hello. And I sat down with um, Peter Lowe, who was the man in charge at the time. He was the treasurer of the group. And being a member, I said to him, look, you know, what I really want to do here is I want to do some events upstairs. I want to open a nightclub up there. And I mean, I, I told them I wanted to yeah. open a jazz club. Yeah, of course. Which I told was. them it was a jazz club. It was a jazz club. And that was the thing. People by were, appearances, by yeah. passing, it passed as a jazz club. A lot of people didn't quite realize that we were a jazz club. And, um, and that's what was allowed. And, um, and also like, you know. I mean, everyone loves to put a label on things and definitions, but by definition, Hugs and Kisses was a jazz club. There was, yeah. it was a place where you could go, you could sit, you could have a table, you could have a charcuterie. It always wanted like to cheese. be that. Yeah. It always wanted to be that. Society pushed it in another direction. Society dictated. Society dictated, as opposed to the dictator dictating, which is, you know, kind of how most good nightclubs are run. But that's what I'm saying. When you say about this fertile ground, you know, that's No, what, no, no. You yeah. said fertile ground. Well, that's what I, I said. I said yeah. fertile ground. But what I meant by that is that it was a space where I was open to anything. Anyone who came with a decent idea, uh, they were given a chance. Yeah. And it was. I never held onto it too strongly. I always thought that if anyone came through my door and they had energy, I thought, they can come and use this space mm. to, to, we can work them into this yeah. for better or worse. And obviously, you know, some total douchebags come through and you get rid of them. But yeah. if anyone who was like decent of mind and, and they had a cool idea and like if they, this, were, if well, they could get a step yeah. through the tile and go through the initiation in a in certain sort of sense, you, you had been through the, you, you know, you had been through the initiation. Yourself. I knew you could spot, a, a, you know, you yeah. could spot a, a, what do they call them? You could spot a hustler from a mile away. I just knew I was lucky. You had to figure out a way to sneak this past the, uh, you know, the watchful eye of the institution. Let's use that word to look. Let me it. tell you, it was a, um, it was a dull and blind eye. Mm. It was a, um, it was a pack of old drunk men who had this incredible ancient order going on, and they had this building. It hadn't been properly utilized and it had a liquor license and I've just been initiated into the Royal Antediluvian Order of Buffalo's Grand Australasian Banner. I'm now a member of a secret society. I'm 21 years old and I'm standing in front of a whole bunch of old guys in the middle of the city with this building that has a 24-hour liquor license. And your pants are around your ankles. My pa- <laughs> Well, their <laughs> pants are around their ankles. My lips are firmly wrapped around their butterscotch, delicious butterscotch sweets. 
and they reached into their pockets and they gave me every single one of their butterscotch yummies. They give yeah. you some medals. They give you medals. Regalia. And honestly, people do look this up. I mean, this is the quick, just quickly to base this. Yeah. In the Freemasons, you, you, you might be a Freemason for like 30 years. You will get one medal, one or two medals. In the Buffaloes, you, in your, in, in the time that you're in the Buffaloes, by the time you become a Grand Primo, you might have something like 350 Fabulous. medals. You get an entire apron. The whole thing's a piss take. So you have it's to understand- It's an apron as opposed it's an to apron. a vest. Yeah, it's an apron of medals. So this, this whole society is, is just this ancient joke that's rolled forward. And I think the, the reason that I got it and got in there is because there was, I just had the embody, embody the spirit. I think we're, I was we're, the keeping, future member. we're keeping the fire burning. They felt it. We felt it. They just, there was something in my mind, in, in their energies. We clicked. We just got along, house on fire. It was gangbusters, ready to go. So Graham hooks, hooks me up. He's like, you remember now, you can do events upstairs. And I'm like, okay, look, I want to do a party on a Friday night. How much is that going to cost me? And he says, beep. And I was like, beep. And he was like, yeah, that's the price. And I just got out my little pen and paper and I wrote it you down. iPhone? You didn't have an iPhone by I then? think it was an iPhone. <laughs> it wasn't an iPhone, yeah. I think I got out my little calculator iPhone and I was like, beep, 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 beep. And anyway, I was like, got a sound times, times 365. And I was like, I'll take it for 40 years. Seize the day. And he looks at me and he goes, Hmm, um, we're gonna have to check with our landlord. Ch- no, no, they are the landlords, dude. <laughs> he goes, We're gonna have to chat and he goes, Would you consider twenty years? <laughs> and I was like Ask yourself right now if you're listening to this podcast, would you consider twenty years right now? And and, and by the way, the by the way, the price per night I times that through by 365. Okay, so I think I think basically from that point forward, they've said I can have this period. I went and spoke to a lawyer and I found out a way to create a lease document that could then give me a right over that that building. Yeah. And what happened was is I uh, couldn't- Did uh, Was it worth the paper it was written on in the end? Well, here's the thing. You can't really, you can't lease a liquor license. So you have to license it. This is where you need to talk to a lawyer because the difference between a lease and a, li- and a license is a different thing and you need to understand those. So having a license is a license agreement. It's a license to use a space. It gives you the rights over the space and it encompasses the things that are in the space. So you can license the space and use the liquor license to sell liquor. But if you were to lease that space, you can't lease a liquor license. So anyway, the point is we license this A little space. hoop for you to jump through with your rabbit ears on. Look, if you are starting out, do go seek out a lawyer. Yeah, of yeah, course. Because of they're course. not scary. Number they're one, not look expensive. Up for yeah. Understand two things, right? They have to before they bill you, they have to tell you that they're billing you. So there's a everything they say to you before a certain point is basically free. And if you find the right guy and he knows where you're at, they're basically just gonna give you advice, right? Lawyers are not bad guys. And if you find the right lawyer, you can find good ones. Obviously, you know, it's a minefield, but more or less, if you're going into something like liquor licensing, go and look around for someone who can give you some good advice because it's not what you think and you really do need to know it. The The only reason that Hugs and Kisses succeeded is because we had a couple of really big heavy hitter dons come onto my side, take a shining to me and give me the help that I needed to carry 
this angel through because it was a rickety, broken-ass ship. Peter and me put this agreement together for me, the newest member of the Royal Antediluvian Order of Buffaloes, to take over the ballroom and run a jazz club upstairs. And I start work up there pretty much the next day. At the time, I was actually doing a real estate agent's course to become a real estate agent, which I dropped out of pretty much immediately because that was fucking lame. What a waste of time. Big waste of time. But um, the um, but not really. But yeah. Well, it's pretty easy to become. Well, it gave you the it gave you the knowledge to. It be just able gives to you a little. That you yeah, need a, a little you bit. You need a, a fucking bit. cement lease. Mm. You ask for a forty year lease on a business. You learn things. If you're gonna get a business, the first thing you ask for is a long lease. It's like a number rule yeah. number one of business. Anyway, so um, I started working on the building and I was I had this space now and I had to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. And it was a big open plan ballroom and it had a piano and a small stage in the far right corner. On the left, there was like an RSL bar and then this giant blue carpet everywhere. And the rest of it was just open and then there was a female and a male's toilets and then there was like a little back room. And that was it. The rest of it was just beige and the roof leaked. The place was fucked. And I walked in and I was like, this could... I just felt like there was so much possibility here. It was going to be big. And the first roadblock I hit was this um, this guy who had previously been renting it as a Shaolin <laughs> Kung Fu dojo. Tang! This guy had... um. Really? Yeah, so this guy had been running a dojo up there. Right. And he was the sharkiest shark motherfucker you've ever met. This mm. guy was just the dodgiest dodge, like fucking, I don't know, what's that show? Like the- Shark um, Tank. No, no, Shark Tank. What's the show where it's like- um, Punked? No, no, it was the TV show, Australian TV show, where they like catch low-level criminals. Cops? No, 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 like like the small businesses. Current within. affairs. He wasn't a current affairs guy. Oh, this yeah. guy could have been Look, a current- yeah. There you go. That's the media. He could have been a current affairs kind of guy. That was him. So anyway, he um he had he had previously had a lease over this property that was loose and he had been using it as this thing and the business had failed and blah, blah, blah. And apparently he thought about doing a bar here and all this fucking crap. Anyway, so this was like a year before I showed up. So I start work. I've, I'm like, I've already, I've borrowed some money. I've, um, I had, I got my friends piece together some cash. I think like one, a friend of mine lent me $7,000 um, and his father had just passed away and he had this cash. So he lent it to me and um, I took that money and I started running with it and we made a sort of agreement that I was going to pay him back with interest and blah, blah, blah. And I sort of just had enough capital to just scrape through and have my friends in there. And we were, we were busting away, building this joint and, trying to figure out exactly what we were going to create in there when this guy comes rock ducking on the door and he um he came and he was like oh hi i'm uh i'm the old tenant the 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 martial arts guy ah stranger approaches and i was like uh hey um <laughs> what's up and he's like well you know i've been um i've been talking to the guys downstairs and um they tell me what's going on up here and i just was he a buffalo he was a buffalo, yeah. Okay, fair enough. And he was like, but I just want you to know, like, um, I've been talking to them and I understand what you're doing up here, but um, I just want you to know that, like, I'm going to be looking over you. 
looking over you or like watching what you're doing? He's like, I'm going to be watching over you, mm. looking over you. I'm going to be overseeing what you're doing. Mm. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, I'm, you know, because I had the lease. I had an option to buy this and a lease and I was going to. So this guy basically comes in and he. Insteps the middleman. Insteps the middleman. And he basically says to me, like, I'm going to fucking just take you out. And um, he had his vacuum cleaner up there, which is how it all started because I called him and I was like, hey, can you just come and get your fucking vacuum cleaner? Like, it's get your shit out of here. He had a bunch of shit in there and they gave me his number and I called him. So he shows up. And he sees what's going on. He's sniffing around. He's like, I'm going to um, kind of impose on this child. And this guy comes in hot, heady-handed, and he's saying, I'm going to take over. So I remember vividly like that afternoon just being filled with a level of rage that I've it – was, it was something – it was the most virile, blood-pumping, testosterone, early 20s, jacked-up, feeling I've ever had in my life. And I stormed out of that building after that guy told me like, you know, oh, hey, I spoke to Graham and just so you know, I'm going to be like managing you. So basically he was saying like, I'm in charge and like whatever you're doing here is like second to me. I'm going to be watching you. He was trying to cut my, cut my, he was trying to like a low level scam my business. Well, I mean, you know, iron isn't turned into a sword without being stuck in fire first. Wait, weird, weird. <laughs> um, so, so I walk down the street, and um, <laughs> and I'm walking down the street, and um, I call my mate, um, who I won't mention his name, but he knows who he is, and he's a young lawyer, and he's one of my best friends, and this guy is a G, and I go to him like, look, this is what's going on. What am I going to do? So. I'm literally in my like hard yakkers at the time. I'm in the midst of building a sound wall to partition the space in hugs to create the Buffalo Club original, which is that kind which of- Which is the hallway. The hallway, the yeah. Which is because I wanted to create a sort of, I was obsessed with Frank Lloyd Wright at the time. And I wanted to get this like the Imperial building from Japan. I wanted that, those pillars. I wanted this, those pillars. And grandeur. Yeah, I wanted this grandeur. Excellent. And I, I, that, that whole, the architecture, Opulence. all those things that were inspiring me were- Of course. Well, you know, I, and that whole thing- Came about from reading and, books. Yeah, I'm watching movies more watching for me. Movies, it was Blade exactly, Runner, yeah. things like that, with the, the, the sci-fis and, you know, um, this dystopian noir vibe is the one that I wanted to create. But anyway, I was in the midst of starting to create that. And this shark comes rolling and he's like, oh, by the way, I'm about to fucking snatch this out from underneath you. So I storm down the street and I, I meet my mate Xander and I say, what do I need you to do? And he's like, listen, you know, you got to get this sorted out today. So I walk into Peter Jackson's two for one suits. I buy a suit off the rack. I put a suit on. I get fitted in a suit. It's like a $200 suit, bang, 200 bucks. I've got a suit on now. I walk back to the building. I go past my mum. My mum called her friend who owns some pub. And it's like my mum's friend's son had a pub and he was like, oh, do you have any liquor licensing lawyer? So she puts me onto this liquor licensing lawyer. Pardon me. I call him. I get his advice on the phone. I'm talking to him on the phone. He's like, look, just go in there and talk to them, blah, blah, blah. I walk back into this meeting with this dude who's like this 40-year-old man who's basically seen this kid about to take away this space that he had some like, you know, sour grapes, long-term vision of turning into a bar. And he's saying to me, oh, you need a million to do this. You need, you know, we're going to do a rooftop bar here. We're going to do all this shit. He's thinking like he's about to push me out. I walk in suited. When he's been sitting on it for how long? He's been out for like three years. Yeah, this guy's just been- Time's up, no, man. Get the fuck out. Dude, you don't understand how much of a samurai man, this was. He's I, not a samurai. He sounds like a fucking no, drunkard. No, dude, I'm the samurai. You're I came- the sa- no, 
I you're came the in with samurai. the sword, dude. You're the Ronin dude. coming in to be part of the samurai fucking fight. It was a big game change. So this guy saw me at around two o'clock. So this guy like sees me in my hard yakka shorts. I'm wearing like an orange vest. I've got my like fucking- You're building the I'm, wall I'm yourself. I'm in the midst of- I'm literally building a nightclub. Yourself. In, yeah, I've been here for like two weeks. I'm going gun ho I've got all my tools in here and I'm just trying to get him to get rid of his fucking vacuum cleaner. I'm like, get rid of your fucking vacuum cleaner, right? So this guy comes in, he says a sniff around, he goes, oh, I think I'm gonna try and take over from this little punk. So this guy flexes on me. And this was, this is by the way, I'm 21. I've got this 40 year old guy flexing on me, trying to take away what I'm just about to create. So I fuck off down the street, Peter Jackson, suit up. I'm back in 40 minutes dressed in a suit and I call a director's meeting. Drop the mic. We sit down in the room. It's me in a suit. <laughs> sitting next to me. <laughs> the game done changed, Sitting baby. next to me is, a, I'm not going to say his name, but a no. senior liquor licensing lawyer. Yeah. Who has just been, who I've just become a client of. Within like just within twenty minutes. Yeah. Within twenty minutes, I've called this guy and I've said, Any, "Have you got afternoon free?" He goes, "Yeah, I'll come and help you for sure." I've told him. I called this lawyer up and I said, "Look, this is what's happening. This guy's trying to snatch me, snatch this thing that I'm starting." On he, your way to buy the suit. On my way to buy the suit, and he's gone. I'll, 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 I've got a lunch break. I'll come help you out. And that's what I'm saying about lawyers. If you call them and they like you, they will help you, man. This guy, by the way, didn't charge me a dime for this. Keep ringing till you find the guy you want. That's all I'm going to say. There's someone out don't there. Don't give who, up. Don't give up. There is someone out there who will help you. If somebody says no, just ring the next guy. And I, you know, I finally got to the guy. I finally got to this guy, and 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 also just appeal to people. I, I called this guy up, and he was like, "Hi, this is blah blah liquor licensing lawyers." And I said, "Listen, I'm 21 years old. I'm trying to open this place. Like this guy's come in. He's saying he's going to take back my lease. Like I've just got this agreement. Like what can I do?" And you know, and I'm a bit scared. And the guy was just like all right, mate, like what's going on, blah, 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 yan, 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 yan. And he was just like, all right, look, I can give you, I can help you just in my lunch break, all right? So- Humanity. Yeah, this guy, he doesn't even want to borrow soap and he's like, he just, and you know, when you're young- And that's the fucking meaning of life. When you're young, that's what helps, you know, it helps when you're young. And honestly, anyone young out there, you got to use that because people will, you have so much power when you're young. As you get old, no one gives a fuck. Well, no, you have so much power when you're vulnerable. Yeah. And that's a, you know- People don't realize. Norm, but yeah, people, also- Yeah. Anyway, so that's an oxycodone. Um, I, no, we haven't got onto that yet. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> still, still in the mezcal. Sorry. Um, anyway, so I'm lawyered up with this motherfucker. <laughs> so I rock in. Meeting time. Bang. We sit down. We've got Shaolin fucking Kung Fu dude from a current affair wannabe wife beating, left his vacuum cleaner in the closet three months, piece of shit douchebag. We've got a shark in the room who's trying to take advantage of a young pup. So I go to Peter Jackson's, I'm suited up. It's lunchtime. So this was 11 a.m. This guy rolls in and tells me like, I'm taking your class. before high noon. Yeah. We can't afford to play the licensing. Rest in peace. Sorry, anyway, um, anyway, the dust settles. I get back there. It's midday. We sit down for the the directors meeting. Or it's actually it's actually um it's not a directors meeting. It's a um it's meeting of the clans. Or no, the, no, no. The heads of the the the, the, the rogab, the, um, the rogab, the the grand poobah. No, no. I've got the right. It's the um. Come on, you got to get board of directors. Right. 
Board of Directors. It's the Board of Directors meeting. Of yeah. the Buffalo Club. The Board of Directors, yeah. So the big buffaloes come into water and then... The big buffaloes sit in, them in the meeting room and you've got Shaolin Monk at one end. You've got the buffaloes on either side. Padawan on the other. And then in comes Hugo. And now, now I want to just... I want people to understand this. When I left... I was wearing hard yakka shorts and like, I think I was wearing like a fucking like a, a, a shirt covered in paint. And like, I looked, I looked like Dennis the Menace. <laughs> and this guy was like, I'm about to wipe this cunt off the face of the earth and take back like this building and all. Cause I just put about 50 grand into the build already. I've already spent about $50,000 at this yeah, point. Of upstairs. money that you didn't have. Well, yeah, exactly. Money of my friends mm-hmm. and money that I've borrowed from mm-hmm. my parents. Community. Yeah. People yep. have invested in me. You staked your life on it. I've got everything on the line here. Of course you have. Yeah. And that's um, what it is. Fucking- You've got to put everything on the line. Right and or then, die, man. Well, it's the only way to spend your money. And then- um, And your life. I walk into this room and the look on this guy's face, I will never forget. He went from Shaolin Monk Red- to like anchovy white. He was speechless. What was he wearing? He was wearing like a, I think he was wearing like a sort of, just like a sort of, like a, it was like, it was like Taekwondo pants. Like this guy was like a, he was like a sort of Rick, Rick Wando fucking. Right. Like he was just like, like a, a gym bay or yeah, something. He was like a, or gay, a gay karate. He gay. was just a karate scammer like you know what code of karate that he was pushing i don't even know i think it was a shaolin it was something to do with shaolin this Mm. place it was a you can look it up it's all there it was all stamped everywhere no that's all cool it's all good anyway so this guy tries to hustle me out of the club and um i came in with the lawyer we sat down and it was just pretty much walked in the room and opened both barrels on this motherfucker (laughs) smoked him clean (laughs) it was over in like 30 seconds We sat down, the guy just looked at me as I walked through, expecting the kid that had left to walk back through the room to be met by like (laughs) a senior liquor licensing lawyer and now me fully dressed suit and tie with black shoes. He was just like, holy fuck. It was like it was like it was like the little kid in the wickers left. Like Peter Pan walked out and then Aragon came back in through the fucking door. Like this kid, this guy just Man. shit his pants. High I've never noon. seen high noon. I've never seen anyone run so high far. High noon. It went down at high noon too. So that was the first hurdle. And that guy just dis- he immediately dissipated. The Buffaloes, the end of the meeting, they were like, okay, well, we've decided that um Peter's like Peter decided that that guy was Sean. I think his name was Sean. They're like, Sean's out, Hugo's in, yeah. like Hugo's back on. The baton has yeah. been passed. The baton's been passed. Yeah. The flame has They're been passed. They're basically saying that any any, any any pre any pre um deals that have been laid over that property were now gone and that I now had full control. So By order of you, Artillovian Buffaloes. I had felt that St. Jerome's had something beautiful and I had felt that the Mercat had something beautiful, but they both weren't really aware of each other. And I felt that the, there was a, there was something in the middle that could have both. And what that was, was the music and the club style of Bamboo and the Mercat, but then the fertility and the kind of rawness and the grunginess of St. Jerome's. And plus my own flair with all the fucking modeling and the war, all that shit, you know, I wanted to create that. So, and I, and honestly, at the end of the day, I just thought 
like a lot of people go, you know, a lot of people are like, you know, when you talk to people in hospitality these days, they're like, oh, you know, what's your client base? Like, what are they like? It's like, I built this for myself. Well, I'm saying if you're going to open something, then you should open it because it's what you want to see. In 100%. The world. And that's what I did. But those are the two things. That's what I feel like I realized. I realized that the Mercat had the music, it had the scene, the dance music. It had it had this kind of vibe, this energy, but it didn't have the culture. It didn't have the... It didn't have the kind of fertile soil, the same kind of thing that happened at Jerome's. And, and I, that was also it literally the same time that social media took over. Yeah, it was pretty huge. That was at the intersection of those merging cultures. Mm. I remember when it first opened, I basically, I wanted to bring the people who were around me in. And those people were people like Declan Kelly, Richard Campbell. Those are the guys that I'd known through my mate Theus. Who and did you find them through the art community, through going to pan parties and the parties that were like Utopian slums and all those things that happened, or like no, you no, just no, knew that they were so. I knew I knew Ramble through um, my best mate Theus, who was his stepbrother, <laughs> and we had been. Um, sort of privy to what was going on there through him. And I knew that – and I'd heard stories of honky tonks. And yeah, and R&D. I mean, R&D, yeah. Richard and, and Declan, I, yep. like, were doing some pretty – Totally. There was know. a lot going on there. And at the same time, through Rancho, I'd been um, – you know, I helped build the first Red Bull Music, Music Academy. Me um, too. Yeah, I was working on that site for, like – I had a gig there when I was, like – fucking 17 yeah or it was all 18 or we something had the, we had we actually had the information section for the melbourne red bull intake at at, at my record store here, here now yeah and i remember like the funniest thing was when rebel music academy was starting i think that's like when like everyone in their 20s actually first set up myspace or was it facebook no like, no it was myspace because it was myspace that was right? stuff. and the only reason why i know that is because honky tonks Air had a MySpace page and you had to pick your top eight friends. Imagine imagine people picking their top eight friends now. Imagine all those things that you have to put in consideration in order for you to project what your top eight friends are. I think it'd be better if it could be like the top eight people that I hate. Yeah, that'd um, be a great representation. That would be it. a better way for me to understand who you are. But essentially now, with everyone so sensitive about all this fucking like perception and reality and all that stuff, imagine having to stake your claim on the top your top eight friends. Mm. In business and in like kind of, you know, life coaching or whatever, they say you are the you are your five closest friends, essentially. You average out your five closest friends. So your bank account will be the average of your five closest friends. And that's something that I've always, you know, kept in mind mm. through my travels in uh, this life. And I think it kind of rings true in some in some respects. Indeed it does. So doors start to open. Buffalo Club, what's it going to be? I don't really know. It's kind of just this thing that's evolving rapidly. I've got people coming in. I remember I brought Lady Erica in because she was- um, another Another Melbourne legend. Yeah, and a beautiful woman. And um, she was someone that I respected a lot. And I'd met her for a while and she seemed to 
get along with me. So she took, took me under her wing and told me things when I was younger. And, you know, I was kind of just coming up in all that of what, you know, what's this all about kind of vibe. And um, she gave me a bit of advice and a couple other people came through and gave me advice. But more or less, I was like, let's just fucking go for gold. So we cracked it together in a, in a couple of months. We built this weird little Buffalo Club thing using the existing infrastructure that was there you know obviously we didn't need to change it too much i mean as you hear it was a pretty history rich four building. walls and a roof yeah i mean it, it was a perfect and, building on, and some culture well here's the thing it didn't have any windows it was a perfect because it was a secret society they'd bricked every fucking window up there wasn't going to be any noise pollution it was a perfect nightclub but they also bought the space yeah well they owned the space and they wanted to keep the secrets inside and keeping secrets is the same as keeping sound when we opened it was pretty loose from the get-go. It, was, it wasn't it was very well advertised. And I think, um, well, I think it was, it was also around a time when music was shifting as well because I think like a lot of those guys were kind of the beats guys. And I know like Ramble and, and Declan were pretty geared up to, they did the, um, what was it? The, Can I, they did R&D and we did, I did a movie. No, but their I, first party was the Detroit, and development. Detroit, Detroit area code. Um, 313 313 was the right, first so party at R&D partnered with here now to bring out Moody Man to Australia for the mm, first mm. time and you know if you know Moody Man he's mm. a pretty fucking legendary person if you don't know Moody Man maybe you should look him up learn where that shit came from but you know this is this is uh, something that needs to be kind of like looked into as well is you're saying the merging of cultures and you've got the people who are the bastions of that culture mm. on one side going we've been doing this for years we know everything about fucking mm. records in Detroit and all these people and where it comes from mm. and house music and blah, blah 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 and then you've got these people who are like got this like just crazy nihilistic energy mm. to like make something happen and that kind of cl- it was the first kind of like probably wasn't the first kind of but it was the first kind of culture clash mm. of these things but then also you chuck in the fucking internet and you've got all these things going at once so everyone essentially tastes had become homogenized and everyone was kind of in the same stream because blogs were a thing mm. blog house was a thing which you know when something becomes mainstream people go back into their like little kind of niche cultures and mm. their niche you know their knowledge sections and stuff mm. their nerdism or whatever and that became a thing and i experienced that personally because obviously you know being the kind of driving force behind third class and anti mm. van damage whatever you want to fucking however you want to look into the modular period the cut copy period like this this was an actual this was the atom bomb of fucking what the scene has become now. Mm. This was the inception of the new guard. So the Buffalo Club had been, you know, conceived, birthed. We'd had a couple of upsets. And realised. You had a couple of upsets. What were the upsets? Well, what we talked about, that guy. Oh, yeah. No, but I mean, like, after that happened, you threw a party. What was the first party like? So the first party was when I bought in those those guys that I knew. Yep. Which was... um, the kind of this thing crew. Yeah, we know who they are. That's cool. And um, and obviously the one that kind of gave me a lot of advice was Richard Campbell. He loves to give a lot of advice. <laughs> he does. God bless him. Love and, Ramble. Um, and Declan Kelly. They kind of, they were quite helpful for me. Just yeah. 
Not like just enough to make me realize what can and can't be done. And well, they also like they have experience in the field that it's you're diving yeah, into. So exactly. So you just take little bits. It's not like they tell you everything, but they tell you they tell you enough just to give get you over the line. They put you on the path. And I think like we talked about the first party, and we really wanted it to be the three one three party. Moon Patrol was the name of their party. That Moon Patrol was their one. A public yeah. office. Yeah. And, uh, and somewhere else. Yeah. Hoggy Tonks, wasn't it? I'm um, not sure. We'll find out. I think Moon Patrol was at Hoggy Tonks. Maybe they said. I, I don't, don't know. know. Who knows? Who knows? Anyway. Everyone was at Hoggy Tonks, apparently. Stonky Donks. So they came in and um, they helped me set up those first few parties. And that that's really what shaped Buffalo Club to become what it was. And it was just a collection of my friends and people that I knew coming together. It wasn't together. really structured in any way, shape or form either. It was a real shamble. It was kind of everyone for themselves, free reign on this new space, completely open, just kind of directed by me. But at the same time, it was built with like glue and tape. Mm. It was barely holding mm. itself gaffer together. Tape, gaffer tape holds a lot of more things together than you realize. <laughs> Usher. <sure. laughs> my heart. Um, <laughs> I'd hope your heart was bound by silk. My, my heart is gorilla tape. Cotton. Um, Tarzan grip. Um, so, you know, that kicked off and it, it, it was pretty fun from the get go. And I think the thing that, resonated with that space was the people that were around me were people who were sort of doing it for the right reasons doing for the right reasons but also just you know there was just this art scene kind of thing going on and those were the people that kind of came in and a lot of mm. there were a lot of hanger honors who weren't much good but there were also a lot of people who were willing to invest time and totally and those people are the ones that turn out to be you know something worth pursuing well some of everyone goes their own path but at that time there was a there was this space that opened and there were people who were looking for something and I created that fertile field as what yeah, I yeah, thought. Yeah, provided the, the home base. Yeah, and we, we sowed the seeds and stuff started happening and that's when we started doing the sort of Buffalo All-Star parties and we got linked in with the radio and people what like... What was the radio? Well, Simon Winkler was DJing oh, a lot okay, cool. and... Legend from Triple R. Yeah, and he was like, you know, people were shouting it out on the radio and basically went from me just being a now member of a secret society to someone who had a bit of airtime yep. and had a venue. And at the same time, there was a lot of noise going on. And by noise, I say third class and street party and, you mm. know, like the kind of new rave scene that was going on. Yeah. But you were creating an undercurrent of the, you know, a bastion of the culture. Well, the thing is those guys, they really pushed on me that like they, because I remember when I was a kid, I saw Derek May. And I was quite young. I saw him at Miss Libertines. Yep. And they were they were techno kids. Yeah. And like totally, hundred percent. You are like yeah. Ramble was Ramble. a techno head. Jesus. He was techno, and nobody really fucking knew what that was in regards to the youth. Yeah. That wasn't Except the for thing. the people that went to the Red Bull thing. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, <laughs> but I mean, the young kids. That yes, wasn't the yes, thing. Yet. Yes, yes, the values and the the way. But you know, if you this talk is about the way. And I don't, I don't I'd, I'm, I'm not like this big music guy who says, you know, techno this, techno that. I don't really care about yeah. that stuff. I've always been about creating the environment. Totally. I didn't care about the sound as much. If it sounded good, it sounded good. And I think something that Mike Katz said to me early on was that we all had a similar agreement that it doesn't really matter what genre 
we all understand what good music is. Yeah, there's only two types of music, good, yeah. good and bad. Exactly. There's only two types of music, good and bad. And I think a lot of people put a country lot of emphasis. Yeah. There's only two types of music, country and western. And good and bad. <laughs> rolling, rolling, rolling. <laughs> yeah. Play that play that sprite. Yeah, I have to get that. I have to, I have to drive through the menus anyway. Anyway, so those guys came in. They helped me get that launched. And that's when Buffalo launched. And a lot of crazy shit started happening from that point forward. Mm. And we... We started doing all number of weird parties and just like any man and his dog was coming in. All my friends were doing events and mm-hmm. we had nights from 500 to 50 people and it was just completely up and down. It was all my mates and we were all just in there and just to have fun and like to see what worked, you know, it was really a testing ground. And yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't really run a business like that before and I had no idea. And so I think we pushed on and one thing that I was really obsessed with in the beginning was production value. I wanted parties to have a high level of production value. Yep. I wanted to see props. I wanted lights. Mm. I wanted color. I wanted- An idea. I wanted ideas. A concept. Yeah. I just wanted something that could get you out of reality to another level that was just so far and beyond, you know? Comes back to your gaming- Totally. History. Like you wanted to create a fantasy world. I wanted to create a fantasy world. this whole economy is built on. And that's what I was trying to achieve. I wanted to create something that was just so so bizarre and so weird and crazy that you just didn't know where you came from. When you stepped in, you didn't know what area you were in. You didn't I know what you was going on. I wish you had to come to Honky because that's exactly what it was. So Buffalo was going well and it was making money, but we never really had enough capital to get it where I wanted to go. And we ran it for 18 months and I did everything myself. I was booking. I was doing the sound. I was just... A comp- Complete control freak. I had no business partners and not so much a control freak, but I just didn't. Except for the Buffaloes. Well, the Buffaloes were cool. They they just let me have run of it. I mean, I was paying the rent and they were happy for me to do what I wanted. And I think they wanted something up there. The dry one was Buffalo Club and it was a very, very sinky ship. What are they called? Soft opening. The so- <laughs> it was the <laughs> softest of soft openings. <clears throat> to put it in uh, hospitality yeah, industry yeah. terms. It was a chubby open. Um, <laughs> and um, and I decided to take a break. And that and was I, when we met as well. That's when we met, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I decided to close Buffalo Club because I thought it needed – I decided that this was – it was working well, but it needed a proper crack. And I also wanted to kind of – I had a bit of – I had saved a little bit of money from – what you made? What I'd made, yeah. I'd had I had saved something like thirty grand, and I was like, "It's time to reinvest this and do it properly." And you mm. know, we had a shitty sound system, and we didn't have anything decor wise. Mm. So I decided it's time to have a proper crack and create something that could offer something more to the mm. people. And that's when hugs and kisses started. It was just my idea of what Melbourne needed and what like what I felt that it was needed in the scene and what, what clubbing needed was a place that had its own whole new identity. Exactly. Oh, thank you so more much for saying of a, that. Yeah, it needed more of a direction and it needed something that people could get behind. And I'm going to stop you right there, Hugo, and say this is the one thing that I like massively respect about you and meeting you and hearing that story and not being there, but then you sort of turning around and going, you know what, this is fun, but- it's not what it's supposed to be. Yeah. And can be I more. know I know it can be more. I know what it's supposed to be. And instead of like dragging something out by its fucking, the, you know, dragging it out and like letting it kind of just wane off into kind of 
boringness or whatever, however mm. you want to say it, uh, you went, you know what, fuck it, stop it. I'm going to close it. I'm going to start mm. it again. Rebirth. Rip it up and start again. The phoenix from the ashes. Kind of like what we're going through now. Exactly. So I shut it down. I think it was for almost 18 months we closed. And in that time, I completely redesigned the place. And I had a whole new vision for what I wanted. And we built the booths. We put the whole new interior. We got a better sound system. We put better fridges. We set up to, to do it properly. We gave it a second spank. Yeah. And considered then, approach. A considered approach. And we reopened as Hugs and Kisses, which was... A secondary name. A secondary name. <laughs> the name came from my friend, Sam, who's an incredible chef. And he used to call me Hugs. And I think somehow together we just... Hugo. Hugo's my name, Hugs. Hugs, Hugs yeah, Hugs. And it was Hugs and Kisses. And I just sort of thought, look, that's the name. And that, and that, that aesthetic was something that I just was working for me. You know, I wanted to create this sort of nostalgia kitsch hallmark card loving you know space that had this kind of hark back to it's an open community you know it's like an open embrace it just had the visuals that let everybody understand what it was about and you know people used to describe it as this sort of like david lynch set Mm. and that's what i wanted it to Mm. be you know red velvets you know bright pink lights roses carnations Grandeur. Of grandeur, yeah. Opulence. A bit more excess, of an opulence, yeah. Which is, a, a, you know, a direct reaction to, say, St. Jerome's and the Mercat, which exactly. was what was going on in third class. Yeah. You know, we went into a state of disrepair and an array and and it was like time to bring back a little bit of indulgence into the nightlife. Exactly. And keep it exciting. I think at that point, the thing that I realised what was going on and what was needed was a crossover because I was looking at things like Trough Party mm-hmm. and John Party, mm-hmm. which is and two um, amazing parties. Timothy, John Moore, mm-hmm. and um, Nick Demopoulos. Nick Demopoulos, who just went through some crazy shit with, yeah. uh, you know, we were actually just at Hairs and Hyenas. We were just like there, yeah, five minutes ago, buying a book. And big love to Nick Demopoulos. Love Nick and love Timothy, and they are guiding lights. Oh, the impact, what they were creating was something that I was feeding into and I loved everything that they were doing. I loved the energy that was going into those trough parties. And the, the aesthetic, the, Exactly, the creation. Yeah. And that's that's what I was feeding on at the time. And I, I, I was feeling that this is something that could be bought into, you know, I mean, gay, straight, whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah. This is something that I wanted to bring yeah. into my club. Community. You know, it was just like a level of um like a level of creative energy. Mm. Putting something creative into you and putting the most you can into your night and and creating an aesthetic yeah. that shows what you're about and that high level of production value. Yeah. That's what's important because well, that's, that's the artistry in it. Exactly. And that's what gives people a chance to understand what you're about and it gives them the ability to see what this thing is, you know, and what, what it can, what it can be. So I had this idea for a strong aesthetic that I wanted to create in the space, which was this dystopian noir blade runner, futuristic, you know, we had a lot of external influences being the, 
the smoking inside laws, things like this. Mm. Like gears were changing at that time. You couldn't smoke. This is like right around the time that you stopped being able to smoke in bars and clubs. And that was a big problem for us because I, I wasn't a big smoker, but you got to understand that <laughs> if you're partying and drinking, having a cigarette is... It's fundamental. It's part of... It's part of... Cons- it's, it's part, part of, of clearing uh, the mind. Conversate. Exactly. Clearing yeah. the mind. Like it's, it's, a, of, it's an instrument yeah. to use to, 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 to push the conversation forward. Whereas I haven't smoked a cigarette for like probably a year and a, a year and a bit. And then we're smoking a cigarette right now to um, try and push the conversation forward. Can I have one? Please? Yes, you indeed. Go, as we go into this deeper moment. And one of the things we did... Contemplation. At Hugs and Kisses in the beginning when we opened... <clears throat> we um we tapped into the e-cigarette. You did, and it was at the birth of the e-cigarette. E-cigarettes as well. had just come out, and they had just become a thing. So I decided that what we needed to do to beat these lockout, these cigarette laws, was to bring in the electronic cigarettes. So I decided that we should do as a sort of promotional campaign to launch Hugs and Kisses. We needed an e-cigarette and it fitted perfectly into the dystopian noir blade runner aesthetic that i was hoping to push and i thought you know what would be cool if we could have all these people in this weird sort of japanese inspired retro futuristic club scene with these blue jazz lights and everyone's sucking on these blue and red led sticks but wait let me stop you there not every person is the same. People have their own tastes, so you need to you need to. Uh, we had different accommodate flavors. that. We had different flavors. <laughs> the funny thing was, we had blue and red, and the blue e-cigarettes were um, they were the non-nicotine ones. So they were the ones who were allowed to smoke inside because they didn't have any nicotine. So you could have those. They were like cherry and peach, and I think we had green tea and Red Bull and all these weird flavors. And then we had these like under-the-counter red cigarettes, which were the nicotine ones. And then the market evolves yeah, well, yet, the, yet again. Well, people just started coming in and we were giving everyone the booklet, which was like your rule booklet, which I printed with these great guys from, um, I think they were called Serps. Serps, Serps Press. Serps Press, the yeah. JP and all that. It was um, Brad Haylock and Stuart Geddes. Yep. And they helped me put together that original Hugs booklet get that printed and i had these with intentional mistakes in it yeah <laughs> there's a lot of intentional mistakes and we we created this weird little pamphlet if anyone's got it it was sort of a pvc thing that you might get from like a hertz it was like a sort of kind of looks like a restaurant menu yeah, at it was a like a restaurant, restaurant menu. in yeah. the suburbs yeah it was like a hertz like you've just hired a car package that kind of that kind of i don't even know what it is it's like a pvc printed sheet sheath that had your card i think it's called an envelope an envelope (laughs) (laughs) pushing the envelope man hell well are we so this was just this kind of thing that we were feeding into it and people just picked up on it and it came out banging and we had you know gelati and a whole bunch of italian ice creams out the back and it was this club night and we were open five six days a week and we were having parties where people could come and get ice creams and exotic fruits and like smoke machine was going and we had these neon lights going and we just sort of wanted to create this just atmosphere atmosphere and outerworldly experience and that's that's when hugs just really popped open and people just got on board 
almost an escape from reality. Big time escape from reality. Which is the number one point of That's what it's all down. Exactly. So we started doing these parties and I had this feeling that we needed an in-house party. And I think the thing about hugs was we didn't have the internationals. We couldn't compete with the Mercat because Animals Dancing had the lockdown on that. They had a, a much better roster of international artists. Well, I mean, it was just the it was informed from, you know, someone who had come from the past and was the bridge between totally then and now. And, you know, I'll take credit for that. Um, that's just kind of what was going on. Well, I was new but to that's th- not, but that's not what it's about. No, it's not what it's about. I mean, we were scrapping for international acts, but we didn't need them either. And, and that's when I sort of thought, you know, this is where the local scene was something that needed to begin. And this is where I was like, in my mind, I was like, let's perpetuate the locals. Let's create this this vision of the locals. Bring it back to the tribe. Yeah, bring it back to the locals. And that's what my idea with XOXO was. It wanted to be a group of people who were young, energetic. They had the space. And I'd just come off the back of Buffalo Club and I thought, this is a time to create something interesting. And that's how XOXO started. It was the, like... It was the kind of angel party of hugs and kisses. It was a safe space for Melbourne. Yeah, it was to an extent. And, you know, at the same time, there was a lot of a political change going on around nightclubbing and what that was. And, and I wasn't really privy to that when I started that shift. But as that was happening, I was so open to it. And I was so... That fed me. I was engaged by what was going on. And people were in, injecting a lot of ideas and clubbing was becoming political and a lot of identity stuff was coming in and all these other things that were coming in was all starting to bleed into it. But at the end of the day, it was all about just creating an environment where everyone did feel safe and people took it their own directions. But what it had and what it, what it had was enough people who had a like-minded idea and it was driven in a direction of creating a a club night that had an aesthetic it had a vision and it had it just had a whole world about it essentially it creates the the, the safe space for people to have the courage to express themselves totally and i think you know that that period of hugs and kisses from the beginning into the middle was you know when stefan moon was behind the bar and we had you know people popping in and Everything, everything just lined up at that point and it was really starting to thump. So let's go into the concept and the idea and the whole kind of thing behind it because I think that's something that you were really strong with from the start and we've spoken about it. But, you know, there was specific cocktails, there was food, there was a menu, there was an option for things. People aren't just coming to get an aqua bubble and, a you know, a beer um, and while it, you know, it still turned out that's how you were working out. That's how you had to operate because it's the only way you can operate. But essentially you still had that vision behind it to go, I want to present something new and creative. I want to make people think about what they're doing, not just like chugging back alcohol and like dancing like a loony till morning. I think we were probably, we were the, the funniest thing was we had the Panera card rep come in and he was like, oh, you know, we want to set you up with your vodkas, your blah, blah, blah. And I was like, 
Nah, man. Like, I'm looking for aperitivo. Like, I think we, and the guy was like, what do you mean? I'm like, I want like Campari, you know? I want some Chana. I want some like Amaro. I wanted all these like Italian. Li- yeah, I wanted digestives. I wanted this like classy sort of, it was like this bit sort of. Bit of taste. Bit of taste, yeah. And I wanted to bring that into it. And that's what bit I wanted flavor. to have. Yeah, a bit of flavor. And that's the kind of thing we wanted to push forward. It was just a different kind of idea of partying it wasn't refinement just, it was a refinement and it was like you know little funny ideas came about that and it was the the opulence of the idea of ordering you know an amaro orange on ice and being given a frozen towel which had been misted in orange water that you could then put on your face and go onto the dance floor and you've got this incredible dj playing beautiful music and you walk on out if you just reach to your right there hugo there's a, a- one oh, of the, those waiting for you. The Gatsby's. Yeah. Should we have a Gatsby moment? Gatsby's. Let's have a Gatsby uh, refresh, I think. For those of you who don't know what a Gatsby is, they are one of the greatest things you've ever had. These is, is it a menthol towelette? I was about a year or so in, and I was a little bit older than some of the people that were just starting to come on board and were getting into DJing. And I had friends who I'd known from Buffalo Club, and this is DJs who had wanted to do parties and there were people I'd done the laser burn parties with and I think they were kind of they were the ones that kind of put Buffalo on the map mm. because they those were the parties that I put everything into those parties. Like and they were done with pure intention, I guess. That's the difference between the whole culture shifted at this point as mm. well. And that needs to be said and that needs to be kind of, you know, like um acknowledged because DJing went from being an art form. Mm in some ways, to being a commodity. It was a commodity and, and a phenomenon. And I think the thing is, and one thing I've always thought is like, I love DJs, but I never really thought that a DJ should run a club. It needs somebody who's not a DJ because the music, the music is such a different thing and it needs all your attention because to be part of the music is is equally as important as everything else and you can't just do it as one but yeah i didn't want to push myself forward i was never about i'm hugo like this is what i never wanted to become hugo the dj i wanted to create hugs and kisses the space for the djs for the people and not even even for the dj for the community i wanted to create a community space where people could come and explore and discover new things and without fear of judgment no fear of judgment and engage and that's how that's how that that's when things really snowballed is when people started to realize that i was a really open book and that i was open to ideas and that i was like had the ability to make things happen that's when that's when the right people started coming on board that's when it really started kicking off i remember there was one point when i was kind of looking around the club and who was there. And I remember looking at a group of people who were interested in doing parties. And these were people who were just starting to explore trans ideas and trans identities and all these things that I had no idea what was really going on. It wasn't part of my zeitgeist and I wasn't part of that. It wasn't part of your upbringing. It wasn't part of my upbringing at all. But I remember seeing it happen and – the one thing that struck me to my 
heart and my core was that these people are so willing to put in energy and time and value to create something beautiful. And they are the people that I want to be a part of my thing. And I don't care where they came from or who they were. None of that shit matters. But what they had was the drive and the desire. And perhaps they had been repressed or whatever. You know, I'm not going to go into Yeah, whatever, whatever it doesn't. You, whatever label you want to put yeah, on I it. I don't care what it was. But when I met people like that, I was like, holy shit. These people are ready to pop. And vibe the aura. I just said, this is for you. Like, come in here and do your thing. You know, they they were so – the energy that came through the room when the, the certain people who, like, you know, don't need to name names, but the certain people that were coming into the space at that time yep. were bringing an energy that I was just so profoundly impressed with and was so engaged with and was so Attractive. humbled. I was so humbled by how – how much they wanted to create something and how much energy they had to create their own thing. And for me, I was like, this is an opportunity for them to do what they want to do. And I had all the power and all the ability to let that happen. And I hope that I did do this, but my, my goal was to just give them a full possible space to create and evolve what they wanted to evolve. And that's what Hugs and Kisses became. It became a space where people could come in and bring their ideas and their, their culture, their identity, and they could just play and explore and they could, you know, get the Play-Doh on the table and just remold themselves. And that's where you really figure out who you are. And if you're 100%. at that age, if you're in a position where you find a place where you can start to – Feel accepted. Feel accepted, but also just, just like try new things. And, yeah. And just like exposes. Well, I mean, the, the thing that stops us from trying new things is the fear of being like, you know, told off for doing the wrong thing. Totally. There was none of that. It was totally open and you were totally allowed to do whatever you wanted there. And th and, and when that, when that kind of hit on hugs, that that was the people who were there, then that's when it really fired up. And that's when I saw a community of people just really take the reins. And I, I didn't – it still had the initial fundamental um, ideas that I had wanted to embody it from the beginning, yeah. but it the had soul. blossomed. It had the soul. Yeah. It had the original soul, but it had blossomed into something bigger into something <laughs> an unmovable force well it was just something was happening like yeah, you know there was there was there was times were changing and this was a space where this could happen and you know i think a lot of venue i don't know what other venue owners would have done at the time but for me i just saw it as this is something beautiful mm. and this is something that that needs to be like uh blossomed no, I didn't even care. It was more just like these people have the right energy and like yeah. they have – like I was just so humbled by their energy that I was like come in and do what do mm. what you want. Like here's, here's your – Here's the, well, here's exactly, the keys, yeah. No, like harking back to what you said about when you went to get the job at Rancho Notorious, mm. 
the guy just threw you the keys and went, sweet, I don't totally. have to come in tomorrow. Yeah. You know, you've yeah. built the foundations, you've, totally. set, you've set the yeah. ground, you've made the space, like, yeah. and it's like now you can let people who are, have that creative energy and drive and passion come in and do what they're doing. You're facilitating you know, yeah. self-expression, essentially. The biggest thing you can do is realise that you have the power to give these people what they need and to take a step back and let them do what they need to do and you, you can you have no idea what they're doing you can't imagine what they're going through you can't even understand it but if you have the ability to let people um express themselves express themselves then you need to let them express themselves and that's what that space became it became a, a place of self-expression and a lot of people i got a lot of messages from people um thanking me you know, and that was back to the back to the you know the Sundays yeah. where you'd get a message from some young kid who was like, you know, who knows what their situation yeah. is, but just them just saying thank you for letting me have that weekend, like, and that's like just the most fundamental thing. They're Respect. beautiful. Thank you. Oh, the thank, thank you. yous is everything. Like, if you really, if you, if gratitude. you gratitude, gratitude. It's not. It's not even like it's. It's just. It was. It just makes you feel so happy to know. That something you've done has then given someone a chance to create and like develop their own personality and build build on who they are and discover who they are in a space where they feel safe enough to do that. And if that goes on to help them in their personal development, then that's what these spaces are about. And that's what the creation of culture is about. If you have a space where people can find themselves and find their direction, then they're capable of blossoming into something beautiful in that space, then, you know, that's all you can ever ask for. And when something like that happens and you're at the helm of a business, you just sit back and you're just in awe of what these people are doing and what they're creating. And, you know, even if you're completely outside of it or you have no understanding or engagement in what they're really doing you can still on a fundamental level understand that they are benefiting from it on a level that gives them something that they can push forwards and take with them and perpetuate the culture and pass it on to other people then that's like the handing of the baton onto the next people and it's that's not about what, you it's about them it's not about you at all it's it's totally not about you it's just you know when xoxo happened that was something that i think a lot of people really loved and that was something that resonated with what was going on in Melbourne and those parties just they just felt so right to me at that time I mean I was having the time of my life back then we had you know this opulent party with all these crazy ideas we had a fucking ivory white limousine <laughs> driving around the streets picking up crazy munters with come to our party bladders. we'll bring you here yeah we'll pick you up in a limo we had this we had i had um audrey schmidt doing a dj mix yeah for the inside the limo yeah. and i had they were beautiful those parties man i used to remember we had you know watermelon coming out at like 3 a.m on platters frozen popsicles like sorbet coming out with these orange blossom towels and rose water towels and all these incredible people putting so much energy into these events and they were just, you know, we were filling up all these balloons and just creating this insane environment and those parties were some of the best and that was 
for that period, that for me, that was the peak of um, peak, peak of what XO, was going XO. on. Yeah, peak XO, peak XO, hugs man. and kisses. Yeah, and that's the problem when you reach a peak. You are uh, the only way down is down. And we did go down in a glorious fashion, <laughs> as many may remember. Flaming. Flaming flames. The XOXO came crumbling down. But, you know, luckily, when you create a community and you have a society yeah. and you have people around you, there's people that are ready to kind of come in and pick up the sword after you've been slashed a few times and yeah. go, all right, cool. I love what you're doing. Yeah, I think people. Some, a lot of people knew what was going on and a lot of people respected what I was doing and, you know, some people, the thing about night, night culture is like it, it, some people do want to be the king of it and it's not really what it's about. Like you really should be trying to foster a community rather than try to be the one who's leading the charge. And if you're focusing on yourself and doing your own thing, then you just, it just doesn't matter what other people are doing. You, you never need to look right or left. You only look forwards. And focus on what where you want to go with it and where you want to see it go. That's the direction you should be heading in. You know, everyone's too busy looking what's everyone else doing. It's like just focus on yourself and mm. focus on what you want to achieve. Mm. And I think that's what I would like to see more people bringing out whole new ideas about what they want to achieve. And as an outsider, that's where I kind of came into the hugs and kisses story from like coming from, you know, my breeding that I mm. had had upbringing and coming in and seeing things that weren't done correct in my opinion or perspective and going, okay, we can do this better. Like coming in and seeing the amplifier on the Yamaha amp that was behind the thing being <laughs> redlined and wonder, and you telling me, I don't understand why the sound keeps cutting out. Like I'm not <laughs> sure what's going on here. Can you help me? Andy, why isn't this thing plugged in? <laughs> and I mean, I, we did that. Hugs and Kisses went for what, five years? Oh man, it must have been the five years before you two came years, yeah. Well, the first two years was you kind of just steering this, you know, ship mm. of of the kind of Titanic <laughs> great people. But it was heading for an iceberg and it was going down. Mm. And the as a person who's coming to this from there, you know, with good intentions, the toxicity of the nightclub industry and the hospitality industry and the way that the culture works and society works and everything is is super taxing on people. And oh. if you're not aware of it and you're not kind of not given the tools to navigate your way around those problems, then you can just get consumed by it. You can and, do. And, and, you know, that's when you need that helping hand of the, the second mate or what is it, the first mate? First mate. <laughs> That's when you need the first mate to come in and go, hey, it's all right. You go and have a snooze. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to rudder this ship. I'm going to steer this ship for a little while. Yeah. And, they, uh, and then when when you finish having your rest, come back and we'll we'll be good to go. We'll be fine. It's fine. I know how to I know how to read weather. I know how to set the sails. I know how to like, you know, make sure that the fucking rudders. All hands on deck. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I got nautical. But anyway, I guess because we're going so deep. <laughs> naughty, naughty calls. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think, I can't remember what time that was, but there was a period because when I was- Because you were in the perfect, you were in the yeah. eye of the storm. Yeah. It's easy to be, um, to be blind in the eye of the storm. Everything does seem kind of okay. I think, I think for me is when it first happened is when people sort of became aware that they could start dragging people online mm. when that became kind of a thing around that period is when the first kind of 
big online movements started popping off where people were getting called out and there's secret facebook groups and all this sort of shit yeah a lot of a lot of i I mean i honestly think a lot of people found a way where they could be an uh, be mean yeah totally and and they found a way to be mean where they they were right (laughs) in their view well no but like they they found a way to be horrible and be guided to do so it, you know, if it you, deflects it from you looking at your own pain. Well, it's just like it's so great that you found a way to be a piece of shit and still be right. You know, you found a way to be mean to other people and come out on top. And I like, I, I'm so happy for you that you found a way to do that. And if that's what you needed to do, then that's fine. But I think that, like, ultimately, it has nothing. It does offers nothing to society and it offers nothing nothing constructive about it. There's nothing constructive about it. If you're going to be the kind of person who's going to jump online and try and call someone out for something, I just think this just like you're so self-aggrandizing to think that you have the ability to come on here and, and, and you think that you've found a really clever way to be mean, but it's not. You're just being a mean person. That that was a time for me when things were getting tough because being in, being in a club culture and and people people were looking to tear people down and that was happening and that period was toxic. Yeah, it was fucking disgusting. And like you know, for people who for someone who was putting a lot of energy into creating something that I thought was beneficial to the culture of Melbourne and someone who put a lot of time and energy their own time and energy into creating a space for people to explore things and money yeah, as well. Money, money, fuck money. I don't I know. Care. Fuck yeah. money. Exactly. That's the, that is the undercurrent that goes through this whole thing. And that is fuck money. Money is just something that stops you from doing something or yeah. doesn't. But if you are smart enough, you will find someone who has the money to let you yeah. do what you want to do. I just think that time in culture came about and it was, it was, it was a step backwards for culture in my mind, especially in the Melbourne club scene. And people think, you know, a lot of stuff had to be said and a lot of things had to be done, but I don't think it had to be torn down to be recreated. At that time, it was getting kind of crazy because, like, I, 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 who gives a fuck? Exactly. Like, who gives – I didn't give a fuck. Yeah. Like, I just – Just don't be a dickhead. Yeah, just don't be a dickhead. And there was so much heat coming at that time. And that's, that's really when – at that period, that's when I needed to step back because I just got dragged. I never once thought – that it couldn't be a space for everybody. And I only based upon who I let in was how much energy you put in. And the only reason that I let it turn into a queer space or a queer club is because those were the people that had the best energy and the like the best they just had they just had the most to say and the most positive energy to put into the space. And I'm going to stop you there and say the only reason you let in, that wasn't the you, that was just the flow of things. Mm. You know, you didn't make a decision and go, I'm only going to let queer people in. I'm only going to let, like, you know, BIPOCs in or whatever. You went, this is the flow of energy. This is where things are happening. This is where I feel safe. I just thought this is beautiful. I just thought this is beautiful. Like this is a there's something beautiful happening now. I remember being on the dance floor and seeing, you know, young people exploring 
their identity, sexual identity, whatever, at like 3 a.m. in this like neon pink light, filled with smoke, losing their shit, having the greatest times ever. And I just remember looking out across the dance floor and being like, this is so beautiful. I was just, it was just always happiness for me. I was always so just like, just seeing seeing this field, this like this this like playing. You know, if you if this you remember, field of dreams. If you remember, hugs and kisses. It was like we had this like tiled room up to the side where we had the lighting booth, where you could, <laughs> generally you could find me the crow's nest, the crow's nest, Aladdin's tent. Well, you know, like go back to like feudal feudal territories and like people build castles and people build crow's nests and watchtowers yeah. and stuff. I have my little that was the watchtower. It was. I have no, my little was, spot, though. and I used to just look look out across the, the dance floor, and there would be bodies of people that I did recognize and didn't recognize, and as you looked out across them, I just would just feel so happy to see them. 100%. The way they were dancing, expressing themselves. I have and so many photos of silhouettes dancing underneath a white light mm. on that dance floor mm. that mean, and I look at them and I, I look at them and I recognize the silhouettes and I remember the moments and I remember that feeling and that's why you do it. Yeah. You know, it all comes flooding back just for that tiny moment of elation or like peacefulness or like everything's okay in the world right now. No, it's totally about, it's, it's pure acceptance having everybody together in this one moment where we're all just engaged in the same thing. Unity! It was just about all being there together and being accepting and, I don't know, man. Though that, that if a club can reach a point where everybody is on the same level, regardless of anything, you know, whatever whatever baggage you have around you, whatever, 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 however you identify, it doesn't matter. You're all everyone's together. been through some shit, and you know what? Don't bring that shit here. We're here to dance it off and do some physical exercise to like just let out those endorphins. But I think the thing was that that cloud of pink smoke came over and it would settle on the dance floor and you'd look across this like misty pink barren vista and just see these bodies moving in unison and it just didn't fucking matter. Nothing fucking mattered anymore. It was just pure harmony Pure bliss, pure, unadulterated hedonism. Enlightenment. Oh man, I had so many enlightening moments there. I think I had some. I think I had plenty of epiphanies. Is that the reason why we strive for this, though? You know, I think that's what I strived for. I mean, I think there was there was a few. I remember back now. There was a few moments when just being there. That just things that can't be replicated ever again. And it, and it. It is hard for me now moving on after it's closed to think back that those feelings and those moments were just so incredibly beautiful and so powerful to my soul and my body and my being and the pride and the energy and all of that feeding into me. I've never felt like that again. 
<laughs> it's a drug unto itself, basically. Well, it's just it's and just that's why we that's why we chat. No, that's what we chase. Like that that totally that kind of you know form of validation or or like acceptance or like belonging. These are the things that make us feel human, and just everything else fades away, and you can kind of go. You can look back at those. Well, you can also be in the moment and be like, I am here. Thing is, it's not about you. It's about them. And it's like when you can feel their energy becomes your energy. Like as the proprietor of the venue, standing there, looking out and seeing all these people in a state of pure ecstasy, unleashing all of their negative inhibitions and all of their like you know whatever's dragged them down being able to release all of that and let it go and be in an environment where they can be completely free and just liquid and fluid and beautiful that is something that you can't it's not about you you know you didn't create that we created that and and as a as a unit as a people as a body as a scene everyone there together at that point is the point when you realize that this is something that is so special and so significant and so beautiful and you just take a step back and you just live in that moment for a second and it's just absolutely beautiful. I would cue the crowd applause, but I don't know which... Um, and then I would... Pad, and then pad, I, pad it's on. I'd but. grab the button and I'd put the blinders on and it would blow out the Man, screen and you dude, would just, just see like everybody moment creating a moment in time and the atmosphere and the God space damn, and creating man. that energy like the magic of that is it's kind of why i do what i do in nightclubs you know like for that just that moment that one moment of that's like what pure, it boils down to pure elation and yeah. just like free and like it doesn't matter what else is going on in the world right now you are free from that and you're safe and you're like here and you're like enjoying this with so many other people and you're, you, you're being hugged mm. okay, essentially, Hugs and kisses, baby. you know, without being cliche, yeah. you know, it is the fucking whole music, the sound, the emotion, your senses are giving you a hug. Everybody's in this together, man. I mean, it's, it's it, when you come down, you sit here and you think like, Oh, how are we going to talk about this? What are we going to say? And it's like, how can you describe an emotion? <laughs> you know, that's so difficult to try and describe it. But we're trying our best. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. And that that's what a nightclub should be. And for me, like everything else aside, if you can create that environment where you have that level of beauty in something that is obviously so disgusting... <laughs> Then you're somehow some kind of magician, you know. Oh my god! You know you're fucking hit the nail directly. Yeah, it's like how can how can something so beautiful come from something so disgusting? And that is just that's what it's all about, you know. You get all of these sweaty, fucked up people in Mm. this one room, and if you get the if you just get the ingredients right and they all just meld together, you find yourself in an environment where you are just on cloud nine. What is it called? Um, Nirvana. It's Nirvana. It is Nirvana. <laughs> but yeah, so I don't know. 
I guess coming here and saying all the stuff about the club and the history of the club is great, but like the one thing after like, you know, two years of it closing down and whatever, I haven't really had much thoughts of opening another one. And I guess, you know, COVID-19, blah, blah. It's kind of fucked shit up for everyone else. Yeah, whatever. It might not happen again, but the things that still, the one thing I still think back about is, is that moment of just being in that, being in that pink mist. Man, that just kind of encapsulates the whole fucking meaning of why we do this. I think you've, you've managed to sum it up and it's taken five episodes to get to that point, but that that is what it is it's what it's all about and you can't you can't explain it you have to feel it yeah and i think the biggest tragedy in the world is if that can't continue to happen totally those places need to continue because i had like some of the best times in my life there and i know a lot of people did as well and those things you know life is fleeting and life is short and we you could know, be dead tomorrow. Well, yeah, no, it is. But like, you know, you look around and everything you do in life and what's actually important to you and your friends and family and all that stuff. But when you boil it down to like what really mattered for me, like being in those moments, like those those were so incredibly beautiful. It was the most angelic I've ever felt. Just seeing seeing something you created be taken up by a community people that you might otherwise not even be friends with. I don't know. Take them to church, baby. Just people coming together and like just getting on board with something you created and, and running with it, you know, and, and then giving it, giving it their energy and being able to inject their energy into it is just so beautiful. And I guess to sound it off, all I really want to say is thank you. <laughs> Thank you, man. That was like, I am shivering right now with elation because that was exactly what, I mean, it just brings it around full, full circle. All I want to say is like to everybody out there who who did come to Hugs and Kisses and was there when I was like running it and when Andy was running it and in those moments, like just a big thank you and a big, big, big heart and love. Big because love. You guys made my life and like doing well. Everything that I put into that, you made it all worthwhile. And I I actually I felt amazing for all of those nine years and ups and downs aside, like those moments will, will go go to the grave with me. And I'd like to thank you for actually being able to let me realise my moment and my dream of owning a nightclub and running a nightclub and then realising that, you know what, it ain't as great as it seems. <laughs> yeah. It all sounds good in fucking thought and uh, in the dreams, but, you know, when you come down to the reality of it, it's a hard life. Oh, it's tough, man. It's and a tough life. It's always funny. I was laughing about how, like... um. You know, there was a period for those who know when I tapped out of Hugs and Kisses was around around the time of what we were talking about before being the kind of call-out culture and that beginning. And I think it's hilarious that um, Andy stepped in right at the peak of the... Andy was the scapegoat for the... It's not like I wasn't in those trenches already. You've been listening to the Dancerapology Podcast with Andy Frost. If you've enjoyed the show, please help us reach more ears by leaving us five stars. Oh, come on. We'd do it for you. 
And don't forget to like, share and subscribe on your preferred podcasting platform. Dance Repology was recorded and produced on Wurundjeri Country and we humbly pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging.